Now it's time for X-Men. Now it's time for X-Men. Whenever you are not talking, I want you to just be scatting the uh, the tune to the X-Men theme song. Can you do Scatman! <laughs> Scatman Crothers? Uh, it all Scatman's comes world? back to Scatman. Calling out to Scatman's yeah. world. X-Men Crothers, yeah. <laughs> yes, X-Men Crothers. He's a clone of Cable. <laughs> oh, God, no. Oh, man. All right. So, Perfect. welcome, listeners. <laughs> this is Cinema Excelsior. And uh, we've already gone. We've gone completely off the rails. <laughs> oh, good lord! This is already the worst show we've ever done. It only took about you thirty seconds to really? get the Scatman Brothers, and that's a new record. <laughs> <laughs> Usually, it takes us like an hour to start talking about Scatman Brothers. Yeah. Well, uh, I'd like to think we've gotten it out of our system, but I think nope, really we just primed back. the pump. That is never happening, Stephanie. Yeah. Ever. So let's uh, let's introduce our roundtable today for our discussion of uh, X2, X-Men United. Uh, going from digital left to digital right, uh, we have... Uh, no, we'll do it the other way, because I want to build to I want to build to this one. Uh, so immediately to, to my digital uh, left, we have Patrick Regan uh, joining us. Uh, Patrick, today we'll be playing the part of Shatterstar. Yes! <laughs> Who is That's my favorite 90s X-Man. He, he is arguably the most Rob Liefeldy character ever. He's He is a uh, basically a red-headed Wolverine oh, with a sword and the you ability know, to shift his own internal organs into different alignment. I, no, no, you, you are, we must be accurate here, Stefan. He does not have a sword. He has hilts that have two swords coming out of them. <laughs> yes. Don't also, we call that a fork? He's wearing, like... He's wearing like a boxing uh, mask, like one of those. Yes, like, he's, got like a, he's got like a power armor headband. Yes, yeah. yes. I think you guys may have just described my sexual orientation. Power, power armor headband, <laughs> boxing helmet. Just redheaded Wolverine, basically. Uh, <laughs> a hilt with two swords. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, what time did we say that? No, I don't. Um, well, who lives in the sewer? We have, we have <laughs> oh, that's the only thing I've ever got out of this podcast. Um, so yes, Shatterstar. Uh, to his digital left, uh, Nick Bester. Uh, going back to the 1990s well here, uh, Nick Bester is Adam X the Extreme. <laughs> uh, whose powers include uh, wearing his ball cap backwards... <laughs> And uh, setting fire to other people's blood. <laughs> but never his own blood. Never his no, own blood. No, not his own blood. That would, uh, be, that would be unreasonable. That would just be silly. And at, uh, at one point, actually, there was a rumor that Adam X was intended to be the third Summers brother. That's why I know who that is. Okay, thank you. Yeah, we talked about him last time, I yes. think. And then Scott and Scott, forgot. And Scott yes. and Havoc took one look at that shit and we're like, no. No, no, no. Also, he seems uh, to wield scythes. Uh, kind of. <laughs> At least according to these pictures I've just looked up on my phone. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's got a to, ton of knives to, on his belt. Uh, 
He's covered in fucking knives. It was the nineties, okay? Yeah, Everyone I, had yeah. bladed weapons. Um to Adam X's digital left, uh newcomer, Lillian DeRitter. Hello, Lillian. Hello, friends. And uh the role that you've been assigned today, welcome aboard. Uh you are a husk. Oh god. <laughs> You have the ability to tear off your own skin, revealing a skin of an entirely different material beneath, like stone or marble. Almost also, as if your skin is a husk. Yeah. The, uh, the, your I defi- get that now. That said, your defining characteristic is still that you're from Kentucky. That's beautiful, <laughs> and I may subject you to this accent for the rest of the night. Oh no. This is done. God, what? why is this a character? Um, the, Anna, <laughs> the Anna Paquin accent. Oh, God. Oh, God. M- moving on, I, I am Stephen Claypool, and I tonight will be the Mimic, uh, who can take anyone's powers, but apparently not use them well enough to be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Mimic was the the sixth original X-Men, and... Uh, oh, wow. I yeah, he, 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 the oh. Mimic, yeah, exactly. He was the first mm-hmm. X-Men to join the team after the Core Five. Huh. And uh, wow. clearly didn't have the same staying power. Obviously not. <laughs> you sure they didn't invent him as, like, they, they had that fourth, uh, like, there was Huey, Dewey, Louie, and who was the fourth duck? Uh, Clyde. They would... Clyde. What, what was it? Fooey is the fourth one when they, they accidentally drew a fourth one sometimes in the comics. So fans call him yeah. Fooey. So hmm. maybe they... Uh, Maybe they had Mimic, you know, in case they accidentally drew one of the characters in the wrong place. <laughs> that could be Mimic. He's literally, he's just a guy with angel wings and, uh, beast. Kind of Cyclops. Beast, beast and, uh, Cyclops hair. Yep. He looks like, uh, if you read comics in the 90s, you probably saw the Combos advertisement, advertising Combo Man at some point. Yes, I do. Okay. Yeah, that's basically what the Mimic looks like. It's the 90s, <laughs> wear a lot of flannel and vote for Bill Clinton. The, uh, and our, our final panelist today, Daniel Watson-Jones. Uh, dude, today you are Brew. Oh, no. Brew? B-R-O-O. Okay, uh, let me look up Brew. Brew was a mutant member of the Brood. Who was oh, okay. hype? Right. Who was hyper intelligent, ultra nerdy, and became? Oh my god, he's got glasses. <laughs> he, he's basically if Stewie Griffin were a brood. <laughs> he was too cool for the final consonants. It's... I thoroughly approve of this. Yes. He's wearing a suit and glasses, uh, and they look exactly like my old glasses that got run over in the driveway. He reminds <laughs> he reminds me a lot of the Brain Gremlin. Okay, <laughs> I can see that. So, awesome. So there you I go. approve. Thank you. Yes. Wow. So, uh, long-winded introductions out of the way. Uh, today we are talking about X2. And uh, th- this is not our first sequel, but uh, uh, well, we, there, there's some things to talk about here. But before <laughs> before we do that, uh, Lillian is going to uh, to make her, her big debut on the show by... Telling us what happens in X2, X-Men United. So, Lillian, you have the floor. All right. This is a serious burden. Let's see what we can do here. Um, so, I'm going to stare at my notes way too much here. After yet another... It's not a, it's digital... not a visual medium. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After yet another digital Cerebro credit sequence, oh because Marvel, 
Um, we open with a quote from Lincoln that will have absolutely no bearing on the events of the movie at all. None. We are hearing incidental quotes from Lincoln because this is the White House, and there's a mysterious guy with a blue devil tail wandering around in it. In honestly, the film's most visually strong sequence, our pointy-tailed friend evades the Secret Service and nearly stabs the president with a knife that says, Mutant Freedom Now, because subtlety. <laughs> Meanwhile, fan-favorite Wolverine is wandering around the frozen north trying to get answers, in all caps. He finds nothing but an abandoned facility and a wolf for symbolism. Back to civilization, where Xavier's gifted youngsters are on a field trip to a science museum. We discover Jean Grey has a new haircut and newly expanded powers, and that Bobby and Rogue from the first movie have a new antisocial friend with fire powers named John. Side note, Bobby is called the Iceman not because of his frosted tips or his love for Top Gun, but because he shoots ice from his hands. Go figure. <laughs> John gets into a fight because he is already applying to transfer to Magneto's school for conflict-seeking assholes. But <laughs> Professor X freezes everyone we don't care about, and they get the hell out of there. Back to DC, the city, not the comics, where the X-Men franchise has pulled another Shakespearean heavyweight into its orbit in one Brian Cox as a vaguely Texan-slash-Southern mutant-hating military scientist named William Stryker. Stryker gets permission from the president to make an assault on a quote-unquote mutant training facility that is filled with eight-year-olds. Also, Mystique is there <laughs> as the senator from the previous movie. And Lady Deathstrike, but they never call her Lady Deathstrike, so I'm just going to call her Kelly Hugh because I love her so much on Arrow. Anywho, Wolverine returns to the school <laughs> to be like, I found nothing, Xavier. WTF, that was completely useless. Why did I do that? Which interrupts Rogue and Bobby's erotic thumb wrestling, which is kind of good, because Rogue is still all life force sucky. Why would you want to kiss that? Storm and Jean leave to find the best character in the entire movie, and Cyclops and Professor X decide to visit Magneto in his plastic prison. So slumber party at the mansion with Wolverine! Yay! We discover that Stryker has been basically truth-seruming Magneto to learn about Cerebro and all the things, but mostly Cerebro. <laughs> and Mystique finds out about that and Stryker's secret base with a secret Cerebro inside it by sneaking into a vague government office as Kelly Hugh and then sneaking out as a very confused janitor. Garbage. <laughs> Garbage. La basura. <laughs> <laughs> so, basically everything hits the fan at once. Storm and Jean finds the incredible Nightcrawler. And Storm and him bond, and it's adorable, and many ships sailed that day. Professor X gets gassed, and Cyclops gets sexually kung fu'd, which is Lady Deathstrike's special move. <laughs> Striker Hi, has lady. found 30 commandos that are totally cool with shooting children, so he attacks the school. Wolverine and Colossus defend Xavier's school for gifted youngsters and save a lot of ex-babies. And Wolverine collides with Striker and, and has hashtag dad feelings. But Bobby literally freezes him out, and Stryker and Bobby, Rogue, John, and Wolverine escape in Cyclops' car because they still don't like each other for an arbitrary love triangle reason. <laughs> Tradition of, is very important, and stealing Cyclops' vehicles is one of them. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, because Wolverine can't work the fancy, minimalist X-Man cell phone, they stop in Boston at Bobby's house so Bobby can come out to his parents oh. as a mutant. As a mutant. And Bobby's horrible brother calls the cops, which gives John yet another chance to be a dick and gives Rogue a chance to be useful. Also, Wolverine gets shot, but like, whatever, he's Wolverine, it's fine. <laughs> you just Gene described and Storm the resolution them. to 90% of the plot in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. 
Jane and Storm rescue them, but the jets get scrambled, and Jean destroys some ballistic missiles, but not enough ballistic missiles, so Magneto has to save them. P.S. Magneto is free because Mystique roofied a guard and injected his blood with iron so Magneto could pull it out of his body and break everything. So the X-Men and the Brotherhood of Mutants are together around a campfire singing Kumbaya, and they decide to head back to Alkali Lake because Wolverine is bad at looking. He is a bad looker. <laughs> Even with super senses, he is a bad yeah, looker. That, that's the sense that was not enhanced. <laughs> yeah, and that is the resolution for the other 10% of the plot. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and Magneto and Mystique are all mean girls to Rogue about her white streak, and Mystique takes advantage of Wolverine's weird obsession with Jean by making out with him as Jean, then Storm, then Rogue, and Wolverine's like, ew! And then she turns into Striker for the ultimate boner kill, and the scene ends. Also, real Jean tells Logan to cool it on the crush because she's into Scott and she's married, dude. Like, get over it. Anyway, back in the Canadian Death Star, or as I like to call Striker's base... Professor X. Professor X is being tricked. Thank you very much. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Completely different sides of Canada. Professor X is being tricked by Stryker's creepy mutant son, Jason, into destroying all mutants by concentrating really hard. So our heroes arrive, and Mystique pretends to be Wolverine to sneak into the base. Um, she lets the whole team in. Storm and Kurt rescue the kids. Um, and be adorable again. Jean, Magneto, and Mystique head to go to Cerebro, but Jean gets attacked by Cyclops. And she's like, oh, no, not my husband. Um, and Wolverine leaves them to pursue the B-plot, because that's what he does, pursue the B-plot. Um, while Jean accidentally breaks the dam, <laughs> Wolverine finds the room he was created in. And Stryker escapes while Kelly, Hugh, and Wolverine fight. And it's kind of a Ragnarok situation, because they both quick heal. So Wolverine realizes she, he needs to inject her with adamantium to kill her because it hardens when it cools. Uh, so while Jean is distracted by trying to cognitively recalibrate Scott by beating the crap out of him, Magneto and Mystique get to the other Cerebro and tell Jason to have Xavier kill the humans instead, which he does because he's weirdly gullible. <laughs> um, Wolverine catches Stryker trying to escape and ties him to a helicopter. <laughs> Striker's all, you have a dark past, you're an animal, blah, blah, blah. And Wolverine's like, screw answers, I gotta save some babies. Uh, so the good guys reach Cerebro, Nightcrawler and Storm rescue Professor X by teleporting in and giving Jason Frostbite. So he stops doing illusion stuff. Uh, Magneto and Mystique leave with Pyro, which is John, because that's his true name. Not his slave human name. <laughs> <laughs> they leave in the oh, helicopter man. that Stryker oh. was tied to. They put Stryker someplace else. Um, Wolverine, Wolverine leads our heroes out of the base, runs into Stryker again, who's tied to a different thing with the same chain. Um, Rogue breaks the jet, trying to land it. Stryker is still harping on this, you need me, I'm your dad kind of thing. And Wolverine's like, nah, teamwork, and heads back to the jet while holding a tiny child whose mutant power seems to be blue tongue. Um, jet is still broken because Rogue crashed it. Um, Jean goes outside to power it and hold back the flood and die so she, she can become Phoenix. And the other points of the Lud Triangle are sad, and Nightcrawler says the Lord Prayer in a German accent, and the X-Men go to Washington and blackmail the president. The end. <laughs> How heroic. Yep. <laughs> Thank you, Lillian. I, I think you have, uh... That was fantastic. That, that was... Yeah, you, that was you, you, you've passed the test. You, you can remain for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> To be, fa to be fair, I had uh, set the bar pretty low for that one. <laughs> puddles! There were puddles! <laughs> or 
pretty high, you know, depending on how you look True. at it. Yeah. I'm going with high. All right. So uh, before Always we launch, before we launch into Thank the discussion, you. just a, a couple of points of trivia, and there, there really, when I was looking around, there was not a ton of really fascinating trivia going on here. Um, film directed again by Brian Singer. Uh, almost everyone from the first film uh, who wasn't killed returns in this one. Uh, no Toad, unfortunately. Um, very sad. Yes. Very sad. A uh, couple of casting notes. Um, besides Alan Cumming, the other lead contender for Nightcrawler was Neil Patrick Harris, and he no. lost. He lost That's the weird. role. Lost the role. Huh. So, yeah. Are you sure that it wasn't actually played by Neil Patrick Harris? <laughs> Pretty sure. Pretty sure. Okay. Both Broadway actors, yeah. though. That's weird. Yeah. Mm. Apparently, uh, Shaquille O'Neal also really wanted a role in the film, although which role we'll never know. So, <laughs> please, Lady Deathstrike. Colossus. Please, Lady, Lady Deathstrike. Death <laughs> I, I would have liked to have seen him as Colossus. Uh, Shaq, Shaq would have made a good Colossus. I could have seen him as like the security guard. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. He could have been the janitor. And, he could have been the confused janitor. <laughs> and, and we have now recast of... Magneto as Shaq. <laughs> Nailed it. And there were also uh, a lot of cool Canadian character actors in this film that you would recognize from Ty other Olsen. things. Ty uh, Olsen! Say that again? Ty Olsen. Ty Olsen? Who is Ty Olsen? Ty Olsen's the security guard. He's Captain Kelly from uh, oh, yeah, Battlestar yeah. Galactica. That's, that's and he's yeah, Captain, on Captain literally Kelly. every oh. CW show ever filmed. So yeah, Captain Kelly was Magneto's Hashtag guard. Canada. Uh, Chief Tyrrell, uh, Ga- Galen Tyrrell, was uh, a soldier in Magneto's group. Was he? And he was. Uh, he was much thinner at this point. He hadn't ballooned huh. yet. And uh, Magneto, or not Magneto, I'm sorry, Stryker's lead soldier in the film, his lead mercenary, uh, played Mythos on Highlander. Oh, that's I knew that. Oh. I was like, yeah. I know that guy. Who is that guy? <laughs> it was Mythos. Thank you. It was Mythos. The makeup was confusing. The makeup, the, yes. the weird face paint made yeah. it difficult. The jungle camo in the middle of the ur- of their urban. <laughs> jungle camo, you, you blend in in mansions. <laughs> and the one of the other security guards at the plastic prison was one of the two Sunshine Boys from... Uh, uh, from uh, Galactica as well. I think Gage, but don't quote me on that. All right. I'm totally quoting you on that. Okay. So, so in, oh, in order... Hey, yeah. the, uh, the guy who played Mastermind was the sloth victim from Seven. Uh. Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, I can see that. Uh, Sorry, go on. Relevant. <laughs> <laughs> we, since we just saw yeah. Sloth last night. Uh. Uh. Seven, I mean. Oh. And he was in Batman and Robin. Mm, who did he play? One of the Freeze guys? Uh, Antonio Diego. Oh, that, that was Bane know. before he got mutated. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. So <laughs> all, the, the, things, all things lead back to Batman and Robin. Yeah, so... Well, can, oh, it was Gage. He was also in... He was in Apt Pupil with uh, Ian McKellen. Directed by Brian Singer. Yeah, it all comes back. Yep. So, it, in order to launch into a discussion about this film, I think we need to, to step back for a second... This is, correct me if I'm wrong, the films that we have gone through so far, by and large, have touched on origin stories, Blade Two really being the exception, because that was the first sequel we saw. But outside of the broad parameters of an origin story, this is the first of the films that we've watched to be directly based on a single uh, storyline within the, the, com- the Marvel Comics canon. 
Uh, th this film was directly based on uh, the graphic novel God Loves, Man Kills by Chris Claremont and Brent Anderson. Um, and the, the similarities are definitely there, but this is, it's a very clear case of adaptation in spirit, but not necessarily in detail. The, the differences between the two are pretty striking. Uh, no, no pun intended. Um, oh. <laughs> I see what you, you did should, there. Yeah, you yeah. should feel ashamed of yourself. So, but before, before we launch into this, have any of you, because I made a point of sitting down and reading this before, and have any of you read God Loves, Man Kills? A long time ago. No, it's I've been okay. many no. years. I, I, I looked this. up William Stryker because I felt like I knew who he was, and then I was like, oh, there was a comic that existed. Yeah. <laughs> I yes. probably read yeah, in I've, single issues halfway. Yeah, and yeah, William Stryker be, William Stryker's, shall we say, choice of profession being perhaps the largest difference between the two. Yeah, so, so in the uh, – and the details will kind of weave through this, but broadly speaking, uh, God Loves, Man Kills follows the same basic plot idea. Stryker, Stryker is trying to weaponize Xavier. Uh, but in the graphic novel, Stryker's actually an extremely powerful televangelist. I was going to say, um, yeah, isn't he, like, super religious, like, yeah. crazy, scary, Southern Baptist? Well, it, it, it's very, very Jimmy Swaggart. Um, he, yeah. he, the character of Stryker in that context is very different. No pre-existing relationship with Xavier. The details about his son are very different. But as we attempt to understand the film as adaptation, as sort of theatrical release, and as art, recognizing the changes made in adaptation is very important. So to kick off the, the conversation, since, uh, since Stryker and his plan and, and Brian Cox's brilliant performance are kind of the, the center of that side of the film, I think that we're going to want to address that. Before we do, I just want to get going through the panel. Initial thoughts on the film, and Dude, we'll start with you. Uh, I uh, liked it quite a bit, actually. The first time I saw it in theaters, uh, I didn't care for it so much. I think partially because I have no background in the X-Men comics and didn't know who Stryker was mm -hmm. and was disappointed that the villain was not someone from the cartoon. Uh, was not the Bob. <laughs> I, I kind of wanted it to be Mr. Sinister because I imagined that it would go Magneto, Mr. Sinister, Apocalypse, Apocalypse because literally the only thing I knew about X-Men was from the cartoon and the Marvel trading cards I had as a child. Yeah, I had so uh, many Marvel cards. Uh, and then the, the second time I watched it, I was still so disappointed with the, the underusage of Nightcrawler, which is still probably my biggest problem with the film. But in general, I really liked it. Cool. Lillian? Um, I'm kind of in the same boat in that my experience with Marvel single issues themselves is very much tied to borrowing friends and going into their dad's basements. Um, so it was very, very half, half, half-hearted in some ways. Um, I remember loving this movie and being really excited about it. I think it may have been the, like, I think the first DVD I bought was X-Men 1.5, mm -hmm. which was a cross-promotion they did with the director, like, that. the director's yeah, yeah. commentary. And I busted it out the other day, and I was just staring at how unbelievably 90s the DVD menus are. Even um, though it was released in that part of the 2000s that was still yeah, the 90s. Yeah, but I feel like they haven't, they, like, yeah. just figured out interactivity on on mm -hmm. DVDs, and they were so proud that you had to, like, be really fast and press X to make a scene appear. They were so proud. It was like a video game. Um, yeah, I think my biggest issue was actually that, and this is a problem with every team-up movie and every ensemble movie in general, just that I felt that a lot of the... 
a lot of the plots didn't get service other than Wolverine. <laughs> yep. Um, and especially because <laughs> I know that you guys have an issue with this. <laughs> what are you talking about? We all previous. fucking love Wolverine. I know. I, I um, we can rename our podcast to We Love Wolverine. <laughs> Absolutely. Give us more Wolverine, please. And that's the thing is, I love, I think Hugh Jackman is a very jacked man, and I think <laughs> that tank top is beautiful, and I think we should see more of it. But I did love Nightcrawler. I thought that what Alan Cumming did was really beautiful, and I, I felt like it was a waste. And again, Storm gets shortchanged as being tied to him. So, also I just felt bad for Jean. <laughs> I felt like they tried to make her a character when she hadn't been one previously. But, yes. Nick, initial impressions. Um... Probably a lot of the same things as what's already been said. I really, really love this movie when it came out in theaters. Um, I think this was probably the first um, comic book superhero movie that I really loved. Uh, may, well, maybe some of the Batman movies. But certainly certainly of the Marvel movies that we've talked about, this is the first one that I really, really loved when I saw it. Um, as I don't think I saw it a second time in theaters, though I was very seriously considering it uh, after I saw it. I was like... I. I really, really love this movie. Uh, watching it now, uh, I don't think it's aged as well. Uh, at the time it came out, it was pretty much, I, I regard it as one of the best comic book movies that have been made. Uh, and I think probably just because there's been a lot of better ones that have come out since then, it's gone down uh, in my estimation. Um, and yeah, it's got the same problem with just too much goddamn uh, Wolverine. Uh, and... You have all of this build up to the to the Phoenix stuff, which, as we'll talk about sometime later, with uh, in Last Stand, just n- n- there's no payoff for that. Um, so, yeah, I, I suppose it's sort of a mix of uh, Lillian and Duja's uh, reactions there. I feel like it was something that I really really liked at the time, uh, and I still like it, but I think it's not as impressive as it, as it once was, uh, and it really doesn't seem to. I mean, we were talking before we started about how it, the the films seem to have a pathological need to make Cyclops stupid, uh, which <laughs> which I ha- which I find uh, very annoying, uh, and certainly Iceman uh, d- does not get his fair share, and Iceman is probably my favorite X Man. Uh, so that's the record a- will show. Yes, the record will show. I love ice powers <laughs> for rational reasons. Ice powers are just cool. Do you uh, like Frozen? I do like Frozen. <laughs> Patrick, anyway. initial impression. I mean, it's hard to say on this one because this is kind of the tricky one with doing good movies is that we're all going to sit here and go, man, I love this movie when it came out because I did. I, I distinctly remember young, obnoxious, pretentious, frosted tips, Patrick. Um, I also had frosted tips, <laughs> for the record, uh, when this movie tips. came out. Um, you know, basically be like, it's a sequel that's better than the original. That's never happened before. Um <laughs> Different. Huh. How innovative. I wonder if superhero movies are one of the first, like, genres where that becomes common. Well, I mean, Godfather Part Two, but I was a dumb idiot, so... Empire I Strikes would, Back. Yeah, but, I mean, no, I mean, I wouldn't Star consider, Trek like, two. mob movies are yeah. their own. Um, I mean... Uh, maybe sci-fi and... Beneath that's Planet of the Apes. Idea. No. Yeah, I mean, well, probably because... Journey to every, the Center of the Planet of the Apes. Every first superhero <laughs> movie has to get bogged down with retelling an origin story most of us already know. For example, I don't know if you, any of you knew this, but Bruce Wayne's parents are dead. Mm, no, no, I need to see it again. Spoiler. The question is, who killed Although, Bruce um, Wayne's parents? I, That's well, the difference. And I'm, I'm not. I'm, Who's Bruce Wayne? I'm this not is a Marvel to, podcast. I'm, I'm not going to criticize uh, 
Nolan for for retelling. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Oh, I think you have to but, tell it, and I think the way that you tell it really matters. Exa- exactly. Uh, but I think that's true of every origin right. story. Yeah. But back to the point of X Men, I think that this one, the, we talked a bit about adaptation, and I think the main reason we have William Stryker military commander as opposed to William Stryker televangelist is because they wanted to tie in Wolverine into it. Mm-hmm. And that kind of has been one of the consistent problems with the X-Universe, is that Wolverine is both the protagonist and not the protagonist of every mm-hmm. movie X movie. He's the protagonist because he's Wolverine, and he's the most popular X-Men, and, you know, he's he's Mr. I'm, I'm the best at what I do, and I do everything alone, despite the fact that I'm on, like, 15 different teams. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I say the problem is a lot. That's a bubble lot, but the problem is that frequently he's not part of the equation. I mean, that's one of the reasons I really love First Class is that the only Wolverine inclusion was maybe the best cameo in the history of cameos, and we'll talk about it later on First Class. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it, I mean, this is this is the last. This was when it was after this that the X Men universe started to have a lot of problems for about ten years. Yeah, I mean, you know, and this is when things started to really start to fall apart timeline-wise um, in a way that's really... Dis- yeah, I know. But it- there, there is a- Sorry, it's one of the only things that I know about the X-Men universe is how absurd the timelines yeah. are. Right. <laughs> there, there is a... I'm sorry, go ahead, finish your point, then I'll... Uh, I was about to say, what, the main thing I was about to say is, like, you know, I really love this movie when it comes out, and when, when, I, when we watch it again, I really still enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, it's, it is one of, it is a reminder that the X-Men universe more than, more than almost any other mar- comic book universe is very much reliant on the power of its actors. Like you, you throw Alan Cumming in a Nightcrawler mm. face paint and just point the camera at him and you walk away. And when you come back, he'll have something amazing. You know, just, just put Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen in a room together. Mm-hmm. Just put them in a room together. And then, yeah, I mean, look at their Twitter feeds. Yeah. <laughs> Look at their I mean, Instagram, for Christ's sake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they've had, despite so many problems, and I agree that this, these movies are a lot of the reason Cyclops has gone from decent enough character to batshit psycho in late recent years. This is a movie, these series has always relied on the power of his actors, and they really do have some great actors in this, including Brian Cox. Who is in everything. Right. And, it, and is awesome. He's in literally yeah. everything. The original also, he, Hannibal, the, everyone. The original he, Hannibal. He is, he's an M.M. at Walsh uh, territory. You, you mean he crossed the uh, Alps with those elephants? Yes. Yes, yes that's correct. Yes, All I do. The, uh-huh. the, um, the, the thing I was laughing at, Patrick, was, was I, I think there's there's a consistent theme emerging in this, which is too much Wolverine. And there, was, yes. there was a uh, there, there was a moment in the film when they're sitting around a campfire toward the end of uh, of Act Two, beginning of Act Three, and uh, Wolverine starts talking about you know, trying to to infiltrate and and trying to get into Striker's base, but he doesn't remember how. And Magneto looks at him and says, "You're always thinking it's about you, Jesus Christ. Where would he get that impression in an X Men movie that it's all about him?" Uh, generally, I, I I echo a lot of the the sentiments that you guys have expressed. It's um, when I saw this, I was very impressed. I think it's it's aged well. I think it's been surpassed in you know subsequent comic book films. The general sophistication of the medium has gr- of the genre has grown. Um, but at the time, 
uh, I, I think it was arguably the strongest comic film that had been released. The, the only thing that I really go to that I would put on the same artistic level... I, w I was about to say Donner's first Superman movie, but the third act of that has so many problems. Um, what are you talking about? The third act holds together so well. Um, if you fly really, really fast and exactly, turn it backwards, exactly. time goes back. It's a metaphor! It's fine. No, there's... Um, I, I think that there are... We'll, we'll need to discuss sort of what makes the film strong and what makes it you know, less than perfect and what's, what's contributed to maybe it not aging so well. The, the few things that jump out at me, one is uh, balance of character time. It's a crowded film. It's a very crowded film. And Cyclops bears the brunt of that. I actually thought Nightcrawler did okay. Um, the character that got shortchanged, in my opinion, was actually Jean Grey. Yeah. Because the... You know... We, we can talk about, oh, Storm doesn't get enough screen time, Nightcrawler doesn't get enough, uh, Iceman doesn't get enough, Rogue doesn't get enough, you know, all, all of this. All these characters don't get enough screen time. But for the story to work as well as it's going to work, Jean's the one that really needs the screen yeah. time. And she doesn't get it. And well, I, I guess we can kind of start at the beginning of the film and move forward and kind of understand what's going on. Um, at the beginning of the film, we get uh, a series of scenes back to back to back establishing the major plot threads, the major point of view characters that, that we're going to deal with. Uh, we get the assassination attempt, which is, for all intents and purposes, setting the plot in motion. It's not really building it, on Nightcrawler. Yeah. That scene just really bothers me because it seems so ridiculous given Nightcrawler's power that he's, he's leaping all over the place. And he could have just bamfed in. Yeah, I mean, he didn't need to be in the tour. There, were, there didn't need to be that whole kind of setup of who is this human, like who's this human that's on this tour. Well, he needs uh, to. It, it felt. Are there are there that? distance limits to his powers, particularly in an unfamiliar location? He doesn't know where like the solid objects are. are no one's the... ever seen the inside but... of the Oval <laughs> Office. Yeah, I mean, he can he can teleport onto the lawn and then into the Oval Office. Like, you can see the Oval Office from the lawn. In which Brian uh, Cox buys him all the discs of the West Wing and makes him watch it. Yeah, pretty much. That's where he needs <laughs> yes. to go. But I, after watching it, I, I thought maybe, I mean, I what's the term? Fan wank? Fan wank. Like, I came up with an explanation. Um, the where, term is um, uh, apologetics. It's from it's from biblical, biblical science where you try to ex re retroactively explain the Bible. I like fan oh, wank okay. better. It sounds dirty. All right. Well, fan wank is general. It's like you can be like, you know what? I love Nightcrawler so much. And you can just go for three hours. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, it, it would have made sense for him to do it this way if he was deliberately instructed because they, they want to make it clear to the humans that just how powerful this guy is. Mm -hmm. They want it to be a big scene. Yeah. And... They want it to be really dramatic. Yeah. The objective, I mean, my, my belief is, you know, we, we find out later in the film, Stryker had sent Nightcrawler in there after putting his, uh, his uh, brain slug juice into him. Yeah. Yeah, his, his um, brain scopolamine. Yeah. And I, I don't believe for a second that Stryker wanted Nightcrawler to kill the president. Killing the president doesn't achieve what he wants. Yeah, he wants to scare the president so that he'll yes. allow him to shoot eight-year-olds. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what, what I was saying is we, we've got that opening scene. The next scene 
is Wolverine's introduction scene where we clearly establish Wolverine as a, the point of view character. Mm-hmm. And then the next scene is Gene's first scene. And Gene is clearly established in that scene as the point of view character. And that does not carry through the rest of the film until the end. No. We, we, we get on that, that train there where Gene is going to be a, a character through whose eyes we see the film. And then that mm-hmm. is not paid off until the end of the film. The ending Can... still kind of works, but it would have been significantly stronger had we been with her through that journey. Yeah. And, like, can I say I that as somebody who actually does love James Marsden to death... Um, oh, no. The, <laughs> the thing about that scene that's so sweet is that you do see, like, you see married Scott and Jean. And you, nev- you never see it again. You didn't see it in the first movie. Mm-hmm. And that scene where he's like, you know, you have a nightmare and the whole room shakes. You're like, oh, baby. <laughs> when James Marsden is given things to do in these films, he does them wonderfully well. But he's given so little to do. He's, he has, like, <laughs> two scenes of dialogue in this entire movie. Yeah, He's got that scene. He's got Love Triangle... Uh, pissing contest with Logan, and then he's essentially uh, a yeah. zombie for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Dude, you had a question. Um, what is what is the timeline of this in reference to the, the previous film? As I recall, doesn't Wolverine leave at the end of the first film I assumed, and I, go on this journey? That Lou, we Lou catch and him I up? were actually talking about this when we saw the movie, because we, we watched 1.5 and then watched it immediately went to 2. And yeah. we were like we were thinking, like, that, that Alkaline Lake is supposed to be, like, somewhere in Canada, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and so he leaves upstate New York for Canada on a motorcycle, which is a trip that realistically, you know, assuming his passport is in order, should take him a couple of days. And I, I didn't. Maybe I misinterpreted this. I didn't think he went directly there. Like he didn't mm. know exactly. I, I but, thought that there was a journey, but I assumed like six months minimum. Yeah, yeah I think I think okay. a few months yeah, afterwards. But the events, so I, I guess what I'm getting at is the implication is that we have seen. All of the interaction between Wolverine and the the other X Men. Yes, it was because he he joins the X Men in the first film, then he's absent, and then he comes back in this film. Yes. Right. Yes. And yeah, that's the broke gives us that impression because she's yeah. like, okay. "Screw my boyfriend, you're Here's back, my big dad, you're yeah. back." Yeah. Uh, and my problem with that is uh, what you're getting at with the Jean not having any development because there's the scene later on where she says, where she tells Wolverine that she does love him, but uh, you know, girls don't like the the bad boy. You know, they flirt with yeah, the bad yeah. boy, but they go home to their husband but why does she love him like there's no <laughs> development between those they two they knew each other for about a week that's why they knew each other for about a week character because he's Hugh Jackman who wouldn't oh he's, he's so dreamy um bitches yeah, love or the poor man's John Stamos <laughs> um so, so we we start off we have you I said that we started off with the assassination L- Lillian had it correct we actually start off with this god awful uh CGI <laughs> Credit sequence. I was trying to figure God, out what yeah, it was. I like, watched it like five times. I was like, are these neurons? Like, what are these? It's yeah, Cerebro. It, the only thing that I that I recognized as having any significance to the plot was like the panels of Cerebro, Cerebro panels, exploding yeah. out. Yeah. Everything else is just meaningless CGI. There, there, there was... Um, I, I did like, though, Xavier's narration at that point in the film because it was different than the narration in the first film. The narration in the first film was about establishing what mutants are, and he explains kind of the process. The narration in this film is very clearly establishing that mutants and humans are in a kind of conflict. So where the first film establishes that the conflict is mutant and mutant, 
The second film establishes that the conflict is mutant and human, and that carries throughout. Okay. But it, wasn't it Jean Grey who did the narration in this at one? The end yes. So at the end. Oh, at the end. Oh, all right. All right. You're right. Yeah. My, my mistake. But, uh, so one, one thing as we are kind of in these early stages of the film that we should notice and make note of is everyone's hair is better. <laughs> uh, Jean's hair is not better. I'm sorry. Okay. I had that haircut in high school. It, it was not okay. It's never been okay. Hair so how, is not supposed to look like that. Halle Berry's hair is better. Yes. Certainly Halle Berry's hair is better. And she's not talking with the horrible pseudo-African accent anymore. I have no opinion on the hair in any of this film, except that uh, Patrick Stewart has the best hair. Yes, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I love how every time we talk about hair, a dude is like, why are you paying attention to the hair? We had the exact same thing happen with uh, Daredevil. <laughs> the only hair that I noticed was in the opening shot of Wolverine, where it's tufted up, tufted up above his head. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out what, whether it's supposed to grow like this, or whether he's supposed to put it like I, this. I gotta believe that he styles it like this. Yes. Like, in in, in the comics, like yeah, in the comics, you just kind of let it go because it's his character design. But on film, it's very clear that this is a man who has chosen this particular look. Yeah, and I his design should be shorter if it were going to naturally and do that. tried and finally selected an appropriate product for that hair. Yes. Maybe he just has this mutant power to control the direction oh, and growth maybe. of his hair that yes. is never mentioned, because why would you ever mention that? <laughs> it could be. Well, because Bobby needed it. That's yeah. why. But that was unfair of him to not help. So we've got... Um, we have our, our nice hair. We've got Storm. Um, so, Lillian, you, you said that you thought that Storm kind of got shortchanged in this. I actually thought Storm was featured significantly more than she needed to be. I think the film would not have suffered without Storm. Well, but to me, that's the bad writing. Is that especially? I think the problem with Storm in general as a narrative device is that she's either way too overpowered, <laughs> like in the first movie, they just don't know how to write for her, and then you get in here and they actually are able to build in beats that like are important. Like the only way you're gonna get Jason to let Doctor X go is to change the environment, and the only person who can change the environment is her. Um, but but they have that weird subplot with her and Nightcrawler. <laughs> Yeah, and I want to talk about that. Yeah, and it's one of those things where it just it's almost like they drop it and they like sort of drop the mic and leave mm -hmm. the mic there and then the car goes by and the mic's already oh. gone. Patrick, <laughs> maybe maybe you can shed some some uh, perspective on this, but my understanding is between the first X Men film and this, uh, Halle Berry won an Oscar. I believe so. Yes, I and mean... there were rewrites in the course of the film to expand her role. And the reason I bring that up, and I want to hear your thoughts, is those Nightcrawler scenes, where she's mm -hmm. interacting with Nightcrawler, as I was watching it this time, I read those as, oh, these scenes were written for Jean Grey. Huh. Hmm. Huh. It's, I... it's definitely possible. I mean, you know, anytime, <laughs> it's, anytime you get someone getting an Oscar, you're going to fall over yourself to... To promote said person in said movie, um, I mean, if, if we want to go back to the comic books as source material, uh, Storm has not had a lot of romantic relationships that I can think of off the top. Oh, the Black Panther. Yeah, Black Panther. Re most recently, um, I think she and Wolverine briefly had a thing because there was a th there was a period during the eighties and nineties mm -hmm. where Wolverine pretty much slept with everybody on the X Men. Yeah, get it, girl. Uh, Forge. <clears throat> She was with Forge for a while. Yeah. Oh, right. I forgot Forge even existed. Um, <laughs> There's no reason you should remember that. <laughs> but, you know, 
the part of the reason I think the, the storm, the stuff with Storm and, and Nightcrawler worked is largely just because Halle Berry and uh, Alan Cumming have a really great sense of chemistry together. Like, I actually kind of buy the two of them. And they're, they're talking about faith in kind of an interesting way. I think the reason maybe you feel that she could be gotten rid of is that it's in this very weird in-between stage where, as Lillian pointed out, you know, they, they meet. I believe in hate. Well, I believe in faith. Well, let's not talk to each other or do again until the very end of the movie when our conversation yeah, about hate and faith becomes relevant again. Well, and that, okay, that's why the I the feel movie. like th those were scenes that should have been and might have originally been written for Jean Grey because... Mm -hmm. Jean has to go on this journey from the beginning of the film to the end of the film when she makes her sacrifice. And if the conversations that are had between Storm and Nightcrawler are had between Storm and Jean, mm -hmm. then we see Jean undergoing a, a, you know, a bit of an internal journey where she's being forced to contemplate things about the transformation she's going through mm -hmm. that we don't otherwise see. And just in terms of where those beats fall within the script it would make sense for that conversation to happen then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's uh, possible. I don't know. Wh while we're on the on the subject, I was going to wait for this, but uh, I do think that uh, uh, that Nightcrawler has the best line in the film in one of these scenes when he says that, uh, I feel like it's his obvious line, most people will never know anything beyond what they see with their own two eyes. Uh, Can we just do all Nightcrawler lines in German accents? <laughs> well, because he also Most has the because we don't have in, to. We'll never know anything beyond what they see with their own two eyes. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. And I feel like that's kind of one of the... It's a, one of the broad themes of the film is the difference between what things are, what you see, and what they could be. Mm -hmm. And I feel like one of the, one of the uh, crucial points of this movie is the what it is to be a visionary and mm -hmm. to to work to make uh, what you believe in exist in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, and Professor X obviously has his vision for what he wants the world to be, and Magneto has his own, and Stryker has his own. Mm -hmm. uh, and I thought that they did that particularly well with Nightcrawler, since he's obviously coming at it, I assume, from a religious perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, that was the, the impetus for his uh, line, I, but that it... It has so much, uh, it is relevant to the broader themes of the film and to his specific actions later in the movie where he has to believe that he will be able to teleport into a space. Something he can't see with his own eyes. Yeah. I think that that's, a, that's a really interesting point, and I think that that ties into, again, a, a detail in, in adaptation that is worth talking about. Mm-hmm. A movie starring, or with uh, Brian Cox in it. Yes, yes, no. Uh, <laughs> so we, we've got, um, in and God... Where he talks about in, how often in, there is. In and favorite, Nick Cage. In God Loves Man Kills, um, which, like, you know, I said, Stry Stryker is very Jimmy Swaggart in that, and that was set in sort of the, the Jimmy Swaggart era. Um, I won't say religion as a concept gets an, a negative treatment, but religion as an institution certainly gets a, a pretty negative treatment in the graphic novel. in the Because Stryker is the, the carrier of that. In the yeah. film, the concept of religion and faith is deeply associated with the Nightcrawler character. Mm -hmm. And is, consequently, throughout the film, given a, a much more positive connotation. 
I just think that yeah. that's an interesting shift in focus for adaptation, and I'm wondering what you guys think of that. Like, Nick, what do you think of that? Well, I, th- I think they specifically got rid of the anti-religious angle because it wouldn't sell. That seems pretty obvious to me. Um, it is interesting that we once again have a Catholic superhero. Uh, mm-hmm. as we were Who looks about. like a devil. Oh, Who yeah. looks like a devil, yes. I, hadn't, yes. I had not actually thought about that specific aspect of it. But yes, we, they do seem to like uh, demonic-looking uh, superheroes who are deep, deeply Catholic over there at Marvel. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm not... I, I think it's as simple as, you know, people would complain or pos- possibly even protest if you had the villain of this movie be a uh, televangelist. I, I would say it's more sort of a sign of the times and a sign of what, you know, particularly the, the writers were sensitive to. I mean, in, in the 80s, it was not difficult to demonize Jimmy Swaggart types. Like, that, that, that was pretty easy. In the early 2000s, um, very different cultural moment. It's sort of sort of easier to turn your attention to the uh, the ultra militant type. I just think people's the the creators' concerns had changed at that point in time. Yeah, it's the military uh, industrial complex that yeah, I mean, that, it's, that, it's that, that is that. I mean, he's still a zealot. I mean, Stryker's still a zealot. He's just yep. evangelizing for the military industrial complex. Yeah. And considering uh, you have a post-9-11 world, it makes complete sense that you'd be a little nervous to talk about religion in comparison <laughs> with the, um, the, you know, the increase in defense spending and the way that mm-hmm. spending was so, being done. <laughs> so so, so cl- cl- clarify this for me, because I, I want to hear your guys' opinion on this. Stryker's crew that he has with him, are those mercenaries or are those soldiers? We actually were wondering that because we were thinking if they're soldiers... Like, where did he find a bunch of U.S. soldiers where he said, okay, we're going to break into a school and we're going to kidnap a bunch of eight, possibly five, to 14, to 18-year-old children? Mm-hmm. I can promise you, they're bad. So, let's go kidnap some children, guys. I, 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 do not soil. kill them. Just shoot I them mean, full of tranquilizers. They're, they're not... They're not human children. They're mutant children. And he's yeah. a military commander, so they have to do what he says regardless. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to pick soldiers that are, are going to just that, that, go along with it. Yeah, but that, uh, And presumably these are special forces, so it's not like the, the regular army where someone's going to be like, no, I'm not going to do that. But this then is they're, like they're, the special they're forces. They're also then going off to Stryker's secret military compound in Canada. In Canada. 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 Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very strange. Maybe they're Canadian uh, soldiers. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Canadians will do anything. <laughs> that, that guy oh. who was oh. running the spillway is actually the one who who made me convinced that it was some kind of standing army rather than mercenaries just because he's so like I'll, I'll flood the spillway sir <laughs> and he's yeah, like, yeah. no and he's so terrified <laughs> that he's upset striker it's like oh my god okay so you, i won't kill you, that you guy can tell, you can tell that the uh the mercenaries weren't canadian though because when they shot the kids they weren't like oh i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> oh sorry um, when you when you said that striker's character was originally a, a tel- an evangelist. Yeah, uh, yeah, that uh, was very interesting to me because I see the X Men that I grew up with, like from uh, my childhood in the cartoon, uh, being a, about like mutants are an allegory for race. Yeah. Uh, but now in these X Men films, I see it much more as an allegory for homosexuality. And I think that we, we, in order to talk about that, I mean, you, you have to outline it first. Brian Singer, the director is a gay man, and Ian McKellen, one of the primary leads in the film, is a gay yeah. man. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so it it almost makes sense to me that they would change him from a televangelist, which is like classically anti-gay. The, the, into the sort of stereotypical 1950s Southern preacher. Yeah, into uh, a more complex character where you could comment on... I hadn't even thought of the, mili- the military-industrial complex. That's really interesting. Uh, uh, you could comment on something else in addition to that instead of it, it just being like uh, a guy saying, gays are bad. Well, and, and uh, the, the fact that Stryker's own son is, mm-hmm. is a mutant... And then we have that scene and, where Bobby has to has to come out as a mutant <laughs> to his parents. You, you get that. Yeah. And I'm, 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 I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm not, not a mutant. Yeah. I'm. I'm <laughs> not. I'm not a fan of that scene. Oh, I love but that. But I, I, I had not thought in the movie. I have. I had. I hadn't thought about it as like the the relationship between he and Jason. I liked it better the first time I saw it. The second time I saw it, it was a little just sort of like. It's a okay. little on the nose. <laughs> it's a little bit like, <laughs> yeah. have you tried not shooting ice from your hands? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's yeah. I know. don't, I don't get why people feel that being a mutant is inherently bad. <laughs> it's it's one of the the big problems that I have with the film in general is, and with a lot of films where characters just go off the handle. Uh, yeah. Immediately, Nick. and their actions don't make any sense. Nick, do you uh, have any it, thoughts on why people <laughs> might fear mutants in this film? <laughs> well, I think no. Why? Why they think that being a mutant oh, is inherently okay. bad? I mean, like, I, I yes, think... you would use your powers for something bad. But who? Who in the real world, when someone saw that someone could do that and they understood what mutants were, like if your brother could do something badass like that, wouldn't think that it was awesome? <laughs> you just yeah. side by just say, but also, Iceman has a dick. Bobby's there's a huge dick. <laughs> but also, Iceman has, like, of everybody in that group, has easily the most benign powers. Like, you yeah. got the guy with fucking knives for hands, you got the lady <laughs> who will kill you if you touch them, and you've got the fucking insane pyromaniac who can generate fire. Or at least manipulate fire. And here's a guy who's like, I'm gonna freeze your tea. And everyone loses their goddamn shit over it. I'm like, you never need air conditioning again because your son just fucking does this thing. There's, it's, it's hard to imagine Iceman using his powers for evil. Whereas everybody else here outright can use them to murder people. How much percentage I, of the yeah. body is, is water? Yeah, Iceman could definitely <laughs> use his powers Personality-wise. Like, there's nothing, about, there's oh, nothing yes. about the way yeah. that he uses his powers that go, oh, you're using them evilly, unlike fucking about 20 people get stabbed by Wolverine. It's, it's and how many people did... The irritating kid who keeps flicking this lighter yeah. and, and looking at you shifty <laughs> yeah, eyes. And, yeah. and then kills a lot of cops. No, yeah. no, Rogue stops him. They just no, get no, slightly no, crispy. No, no, no. Those, crispy. You don't get engulfed in no a ball one, of no fire and then have movie. a lot, like, little the singes. Pe- That's not how fire works. No, but that is how it works in Bryan Singer Because even the people, even the soldiers that Wolverine stabs through the chest into the refrigerator do not bleed at all. There is no blood there are some pointed shots of just, properties. <laughs> there are some very pointed shots of like just kind of sooty looking cops, like totally fine. Yeah, they're all fine. So irritating. I think. I think the only two people who bleed in the film are Wolverine because he has blood on him for a while, yeah. and he gets uh, shot. And he gets the shot. security guard who's who's. Iron is ripped out of his body. Yeah, yeah he's fine. Kill you. He's fine. So, so let's, I, let, let's. Yeah, probably right. You, you, he you, wasn't killed in that bullet storm. Let's back. Uh, let's back up for a second, <laughs> and then get back to this scene because there, there are three scenes that I want to hit. 
as we okay. go through okay. this. I think I know what they one, are, too. One is the, the X-Mansion, the escape. Yeah. Uh, two is the build-up to Magneto's escape, because we have to talk about that scene. <laughs> and three is uh, Wolverine uh, Wolverine's quest for beer. <laughs> That's his character arc. Uh, so, for, first of all... Characters uh, have the fun thing. Uh, Is that the sequel to Quest for Fire? The Quest, the quest for Beer, yeah. Um, with Dennis Quaid. No, that's Caveman. Um, so, we have... Oh, wait, shit. Uh, Radon Chong. She was in Quest for Fire. That's right. Anyway. Okay. Was Brian Cox in it? The, um... We, we have the, the Strikers soldiers, having gotten authorization from the president after the assassination attempt, are storming the X Mansion yes. in Westchester to, to get those kiddies. Yes. Um, number of interesting things in the, in the scene. One, several children see a man with knives for hands murder soldiers. Uh, two, we get some cameos. And three, we get the, the conference, first confrontation with Stryker. One of my favorite cameos in this is the is um, Shadowcat, uh, Kitty Pride. Kitty Pride, not so, not Ellen Page. Everyone loves Kitty Pride. The thing about Kitty Pride, who will be played by at least four different people over the course of the X movies. Yep, yep. This is number two, and uh, still not a real actress. Was there one in the first one? Yeah, yes, she ran was. through Xavier's door. Oh yeah, yeah. I forgot about yeah. that. So that's this is number a less two. Fe- a, a less featured cameo than this cameo. Yes. So we've got Kitty Pride. Um, we have Siren, Banshee's child, screaming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a Colossus who will be played by a different Colossus with a different accent in a later movie. No, no, it's yeah. the same actor. It's Daniel Cudmore. Is it Daniel? Daniel Cudmore in, plays Colossus throughout. I stand corrected. In this continuity, is Nightcrawler supposed to be Mystique's son? Don't. That's not. We're not even going to try and talk oh, about the yeah. continuity of this okay. movie series. All right. I was just asking. So uh, I have uh, another. I have another uh, technical question for people who know more about the Marvel universe. Yeah. Can Wolverine be killed by drowning? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay. I don't. I don't even understand why Lady Night- Deathstrike is killed by having her body full of adamantium. A- well, allow me, allow me to reference Vampire Diaries for two seconds. <laughs> I will okay. allow it. I will because... allow the fuck out of it. So literally, <laughs> Vampire Diaries had this scenario happen where, like, vampires yeah, like the vampires auto heal, right? And they they submerge uh-huh. somebody in a uh, tank for like eight months so he just repeatedly dies over and over and then recovers okay. and considering oh, they okay. literally gave wolverine a shot to a shot to the head during this and he came out fine so what you're saying well, yeah, is wolverine's that, that a vampire it seems like he would die over and yes. over and over if he was drowning right he would like yeah. wake up reanimate well no that's not what i would think because uh well, for one thing, in Alan Moore's Swamp Thing continuity, vampires can live just fine underwater because they don't actually need oxygen. Yep. But my assumption <laughs> is it's like it's like Angel on Buffy. We <sighs> have no breath. But I don't think he talk. needs oxygen to regenerate because I mean it's not like he's breathing while he's dead. I mean, Wolverine's healing abilities are all over the place. They've gone from yeah. just mild, quick healing to he there was like nothing left from, of him but a brain and an eyeball, and he was fine next Tuesday. He got dropped into the sun at one point and was fine, so I think he could survive drowning. Guys, there was this, there was someone in Quest for Fire who is credited as the Great Antonio. Like, that's his official name. <laughs> that's the actor's name, not the character's name. That's his name. exact name? The actor's name, the Great Antonio. 
Uh, he, I love, he died I love in that you just decided to look up the <laughs> cast list of the Quest for Fire while we were doing this. I needed to know if Brian Cox was in it. <laughs> <laughs> was uh, was Harry Dean Stanton in it? Is he? I don't think that Harry Dean Stanton was in it. No, Brian Cox was not in it. What about Emma uh, Wolf? But the, uh, the the reason that I well. One of the reasons that Brian Cox is, is uh, so important to me right at this moment is because the, the movie that first, like, brought him to my attention where I was like, who is this actor who I have seen in many things? What is his name? Was Adaptation. adaptation. Yep. And yeah. his big Replace line from that is, God help, help you, you if you, you use, use adaptation. <laughs> <laughs> and don't you anyway. dare use a deus ex machina. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we've got our, our cameos, Colossus, uh, horribly ADR'd and underused, but I remember when I was watching it in theaters, and Colossus showed up, that was like, that was a big pop moment, like, I, people oh, in the theaters were like, yeah! <laughs> yeah. Like, any cameo was great. Yeah, because yeah, he is. They, they do a good job of propelling the story. Yeah, yeah. And the creepy kid uh, who's I didn't blinking. Understand, yeah. It, I didn't understand why, when you see Colossus the second time, he is back to just a shirtless dude. Yeah. Was that just a money reason, like, they couldn't? Budgetarily have him yes. covered in what is he titanium adamantium what is he uh, organic just steel metal? Or, yeah organic steel he's organic steel he's okay, free range cool. steel <laughs> <laughs> it's steel is not free steel. antibiotics oh those poor chickens and animals no. uh, uh, yeah it, it didn't make sense that he was just going to assume that he'd be fine like I can help you as this big shirtless dude who you may not even remember or may not have ever met before <laughs> that, that would actually explain a lot of why uh, why Wolverine just sends Wolverine him away because he, fu- he fucking doesn't know who the Colossus is yeah. it's just oh, okay so yeah you're, you're a you're, you're a weightlifter, son. Yeah, yeah. Go. Yeah, I mean, particularly given how useless so many of the powers are in uh, in the X Mansion, mm-hmm. he has one like of the tongue, few yeah, yeah. really good combat abilities. And Wolverine has no mm-hmm. way to know this. That is an excellent point. <laughs> I, I yeah, feel yeah. like nobody briefed Logan on the security procedures for this. Like all the kids seem to know where they're going. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, Wolverine. Wolverine's plans for the night were. I'm going to, if everyone wakes up and wants to have ice cream for breakfast, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, no one told him anything. Have, <laughs> his, his plans were, have nightmare, find beer in school, yeah. harass <laughs> kid about girlfriend. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, he has He's been basically your this, worst uncle. He's been back in this school for about five hours. You mean best uncle. Uh, right. He, just, no, he no, got uncle. here no, no, at like no. 7 p.m. And fucking everybody <laughs> yeah. just decided, you know what? Let's leave the kids with him and go. And then at midnight, the fucking black ops decide to murder a bunch of children. Now, yeah, Logan, yeah. I realize no one can see that coming. You don't know, any, you don't know how they the students. Those I realize you don't know anywhere anything is. Tranquilizer darts. But could you please watch everyone? Yeah. <laughs> please be yes. responsible for 20 tiny minors. Yes. Enjoy. Yeah. You, yeah. the angry amnesiac man with knives for hands. Please, the first couple of times, I think this was the third time that I've watched this movie. The first couple of times, I was very irritated by those uh, three-part darts, (laughs) the tranquilizer darts. But now I've been able to, they seem to make sense to me. There's probably three chemicals that need to be injected in (laughs) sequence to put them to sleep. Uh, But that is never addressed. Nope. And just it also just cool. seems insane to me that if you need three chemicals, that you would have them in three separate units. Because what if one of them misses? <laughs> <laughs> you're, go- you're going really hard on the fan wanking here. Yeah, you yeah. are. Yeah. It's just I mean, a cool, just, it's a cool I, little noise of da-da-da, da-da-da, and three darts. 
Yeah. I really... But they do specifically shoot in sequence. It's it's not all mm-hmm. at once. So I figured there had to be a reason for it. Like they're not they didn't just decide this would look cool. Yeah. I think that's no, exactly they what they did. I think that <laughs> is exactly the process. Okay. No, that I, I can see what you're they saying. Like some art director thought cool. real hard about this and then nobody cared. So nobody <laughs> yeah, yeah. bothered so, to explain. Yeah. It. We, we've got the cool darts, we've got the cameos, and then we've got uh the moment where Stryker and Wolverine make their first connection to one another. And I have that touching moment where they're reaching the ice together. The Star Trek moment? Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, this, uh, we'll talk later about how this film is the Wrath of Khan. Um, (laughs) But, so, we've got this scene. At the same time, Xavier's getting kidnapped uh, by Deathstrike, by Kelly Hugh. Um, Deathstrike. And then... we, we can, from there, kind of get to Magneto's prison break. So Magneto has been kept awesome. in a plastic prison. I actually, uh, before, before we do that, I have one comment I want to say is that uh, in the at, right after their big moment, uh, Bobby puts a big ice wall between Wolverine and Stryker, and Stryker like, grabs an explosive, which is going to be starting a trend, which is all soldiers just carry explosives on them at all times. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes, which um, will come back to bite them in the ass. Yes. <laughs> but he, he, he plants the explosive in the ice wall, and then you know he, he, they do the thing where like all the soldiers run away from the explosion and Stryker because he's like a yeah. he's like a bad he just walks. This is literally what I mentioned. I said this when we watched it. The first time I had was I remember being cognizant of the fact that cool guys walk from explosions. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is fair. I must enough. also say that blue tank top. That blue tank top was very important to many teenage fangirls. That- <laughs> Hugh Jackman's <laughs> tank top. Or the, Brian, the or Brian Cox. Tank top. Brian Cox. He's wearing this like weirdly yeah, yeah. thick, like it's not see-through, but like he's busting out of it. <laughs> yeah. And considering <laughs> the fact that you have like Anna Paquin there, who is like developed and grown up, and she's just oh. wearing this cute little nightgown, yeah. but Wolverine's just walking around we, in this blue tank top. We could spend a lot of time talking about how Anna Paquin grew up between films one and two. <laughs> I also and think the, the camera really emphasized it. I also think this may be the only time that uh, Iceman's powers are used for any real practical purpose in the entire movie, mm-hmm. other than, like, putting out that guy that uh, Pyro put on fire. Yeah. Set on fire. <laughs> so I, I want to... infuriating, but we will get to that yeah. in the third act. Yeah. But yeah. Let, I have a, oh, I have a question. Has some yeah, was this supposed hit, hit to be a question, a... then I got a thought, and then we can go to the next thing. Dude. Oh, okay. Um, was that supposed to be a concussion grenade or a regular grenade? I thought it was because a concussion. It just seemed... It yeah, because it just ice. seemed like it... It, it shattered the thing without any kind of yep. real outward explosion. Yep. And why didn't they just use bullets? And also, Wolverine, for just one moment, like, if there was any moment where he wanted to get through that, he has claws. <laughs> so, so the, anyway. Th- there was, there on. was one, one thing at the, at the end of this scene that is really interesting to me. We, we've established that we think there's too much Wolverine in this film. But this is actually one moment where I feel like we get a little glimpse into him that we don't have emphasized throughout the film that is really yeah. worth diving into. The the dichotomy of Wolverine's character through his relationship with Rogue in the first film and his relationship with these three kids in this film is Wolverine is a killer, he is a monster, he's an animal, but at his heart he's also a protector. I mean, he... he he leaves Stryker in that moment because he has to protect those kids. Just as later in the film, he leaves Stryker to die because he is choosing to be with, with that kid, to carry that kid to safety. 
And I just think that that's an interesting dichotomy in his character that is so much more interesting than his I can't remember moments. <laughs> As I once described it, that's Wolverine's our entire arc in all things is Who am I? Who yeah, am yeah. I? Who am I? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I just think that's interesting. Yeah, no, I... Yeah. Certainly better than... Who am I? <laughs> so well, and we, it's like, Hugh Jackman is a good actor. He's a oh, yeah. genuinely good actor. Very good and actor. and yeah. that's the thing, is that that moment of him, like, staring at the ice and, like, making the decision, like, mm-hmm. I had no... I wasn't thinking, yeah. like, he can get through the ice, because I knew he could get through the ice. Yeah. I was oh, just yeah. like, okay, yeah. he's deciding. Like, he made the choice, I can't do this right now, I have to go take care of my fake mm-hmm. daughter... And her mm-hmm. boyfriend, who I don't like much, and that kid I don't like much. Yeah, yeah. And that's a yeah. real parent. When you take care of your par- your child's awful friends. And steal Cyclops' yeah. car, and his terrible <laughs> cell phone. And, it, and his apparently uh, terrible radio presets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I can see this working on a, a really almost obvious metaphorical level, too, since there is a layer of ice between Wolverine and his past that he can't get through, and literally the thing between him and Stryker is the icebound lake and the, the whole icy tundra uh, up in uh, Alkali Lake. Yeah, uh, that so. works. Yeah. So we have that scene, and then we move from there directly into the events leading up to Magneto's escape. So we have uh, Rebecca Romaine sort of seducing uh, Captain Kelly. In the bar. Very subtle blue snakeskin dress. Yep. <laughs> Rebecca Romaine Stamos, I'm sorry. At this point, still uh, Stamos, we, I believe. We, we, we have Hank McCoy on the television set creating a massive continuity oh. error for us down the road. <laughs> nope. One, one nope. of one three, three Hank McCoys. <laughs> yep, one of three Hank McCoys. Although I, I'm, I'm going to be generous and say that uh, the... Uh, Fraser Crane, Hank McCoy, and the uh, kid from Warm Bodies, Hank McCoy, are the same McCoy. Um, they're the real McCoy. Yes, they're the real McCoy. You mean first class McCoy grows into Kelsey Grammer McCoy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll, yeah, I'll give I, him I would, I would have assumed that. I, uh, yeah, but but th- this, this Hank is a McCoy different is Doctor Hank McCoy. Okay, yeah, yeah. Two Look, he took Hank McCoy. He took which he, Earth are we on? Is this Earth Two or Earth Prime or? <laughs> this is oh, actually, I was about to 616. say Six one six, always six one six. No wait, no. But the movies no take place on a different Earth. Six one six is the main comic uh, continuity. Oh goddamn! And do have a the Marvel story. Cinematic Universe is uh, one nine 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 nine. Yes, thank you. I was trying to remember that. But okay. obviously, the X Men movies must take place on a different Earth, and I'm sure somebody has figured out which which Earth it only, is. Only only X Men could expire this level of wankery. So we we have. <laughs> I mean, I'm uh, gonna find out what Earth this is. I. I would just like to say for the record that when I when I am moderately dismissive of the details from the comic, it is not because I don't respect the details from the comics. I I have a great amount of respect for anyone who can hold all of this detail in their head <laughs> and anyone who may be listening to this who knows all this stuff. You have a level of devotion that I cannot imagine. <laughs> so we, we have uh, Mystique uh, shooting a big wad of iron into Captain Kelly's ass. Um I will say uh, this is the first time I've watched this film since seeing First Class. I think Jennifer Lawrence wears the makeup better. Okay. Um, the, <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence wears the, a lot of things. This better. is Earth one, one is zero zero okay. zero five. Yeah. Thank you, Nick. You You're go. welcome. <laughs> I mean, um, the make the part is just also makeup techniques have gotten better. So we we get to uh, we're, we're skipping a couple things, but from there the. Plot, this plot thread continues to Magneto's delightful escape from prison. 
which is visually interesting, which gives Ian McKellen something to chew on, and which is, uh, I think, my favorite scene in the film. So he tears the, uh, the extra iron out of this man's chest, forms it into, like, three marbles, and destroys his plastic prison. The real reason I love it goes into why I really love Ian McKellen's performance in this film. Ian McKellen in this film, you know, we mentioned earlier, and it's it's public knowledge, Ian McKellen is, is a, a gay man. Ian McKellen is like a fucking old queen in this film. Like, he is catty at times in this film. He has his, his wonderful arms crossed pose. Yeah, flying across as the marbles fly around him. Yeah. And then the, the two lines of his I remember from the, from the film that will always stick with me are one, he and Mystique giggling to each other, then looking at Rogue and saying, we love what you've done with your hair. Yeah, and, and then, then she makes that later, like, blinky face where she's like, I'm going about to Wolverine. murder you now. <laughs> yeah. And then later when they're get, developing their plan to break into the base and Wolverine's talking about going in, and he steps forward and says, what are you going to do? Scratch it with your claws? It's like <laughs> Oscar Wilde is playing this part. <laughs> Uh, yes. But it, it's it's so... God, Oscar Wilde would have made such an interesting Magneto. <laughs> I want that now. Is the right Give me word. that IU. Oh my god. I'm, yeah, I'm just imagining Magneto with Oscar Wilde hair. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and like that, late, that like Edwardian floppy, uh, floppy yeah, yeah. bow tie that uh, I'm imagining him in. Oh, Corbett. man. Did Oscar Wilde wear anything but a smoking jacket? I, I don't... I can't imagine it. He wore furs sometimes. He always takes these, like, fabulous furs, and I can totally see... Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Not pants, though. Rarely but pants. I, this has been the Oscar Wilde cast. I, I, I think it, that that's interesting, and it, it works in the film, and the, the reason I think it works, aside from McKellen just being a very good actor, is Magneto occupies a very strange place in the film, because he is, at the same time, a tertiary protagonist and a secondary antagonist. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, which fits very well with the characterization that he normally assumes in the comics and fits very well in God Loves, Man Kills. In God Loves, Man Kills, the central dramatic arc of the story is built on the relationship between Xavier and Magneto. And at the end of the film, Xavier has been, or the end of the, the graphic novel, Xavier has been weaponized by the same people Magneto's been warning him for years about. And Magneto extends his hand to him at the end and says, you should see now that I've been right about this. And Xavier refuses him. And that's the final dramatic moment of the story. Yeah, he still has a, a more powerful vision. Exactly. So it's it's important to, through even this little bit of levity that McKellen brings to the performance, to establish Magneto as someone we kind of like. Yeah. Oh yeah. At this point of the film. I mean, he's he's always been. I mean, it, this is weird because we don't, we can't directly compare him to other Marvel villains in the movies. But when you compare him to someone like say. Victor Von Doom or the Red Skull or mm -hmm. hell Norman Osborn like those are three unrepentant assholes you know Red Skull is literally a Nazi yep you know Norman Osborn has he's killed teenagers he's yeah, a psychopath he's a psychopath. Like, psychopath you know and Victor Von Doom his last name is literally it's Doom is Doom <laughs> <laughs> screwed you know, these, from birth like, yeah I mean like these like th these other villains 
are not nice people. They're never going to be nice people. No one is looking for the Red Skull redemption story. But Magneto, the only point of comparison I have in the Marvel Universe, I think if we looked at DC, we could maybe get more interesting, but is Loki. It's, it's, it's Magneto and Loki are the only real, you know, sort of points of comparison that immediately spring to mind where you kind of like them. Yeah, well, you, there's shades, you kind of like them. And you mm-hmm. can understand where they're coming from, even if you don't necessarily agree <laughs> God with bless it. What you, the dude. hell has just gone on with your picture, dude? For, for those of you listening, Dude has changed to his uh, picture in the Google Hangout. A picture of Willem Dafoe as the Green Goblin, pleading for his life. <laughs> with no helmet with on. no helmet on. <laughs> oh, Dafoe. Uh, Dafoe. Now how do I stop that? What's your Dafoe you never stop? <laughs> the big difference between Loki and Magneto, though, is that Loki, it's about him. You know, it's mm-hmm. its about its about his, what he deserves. And I think the thing that's interesting about Magneto is that it is, it's, it's a community desire. It's a desire to elevate the whole mutant community. Um, and that's, that's the big difference between X, between Xavier and him, is that Xavier is sort of doing the Gandhi route, or the MLK route, and Magneto mm-hmm. is... The Malcolm X. <laughs> like, he literally, like, they, they're so subtle about it. They have, he literally, like, he goes, he looks at Pyro and he goes, No, what's your real what's name? What's your real name? <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, Oh, so we're yeah. doing that. Okay. <laughs> you you <laughs> but, pronouncing it Xavier is really throwing me off. I suppose, yeah. Isn't, isn't Xavier? He French? Isn't that just his name? Xavier. I don't understand why they keep saying Iceman instead of Iceman. Iceman. <laughs> John Iceman. <laughs> I mean, certainly the name Xavier is this sometimes is... pronounced by some people as Xavier, but I'm pretty yeah, sure... Yeah, but not yeah, in this film. Not in this film. Uh, is that... This is my friend Cyclops, Cyclops yeah. and his friend Wolverine. Yeah. Wolverine. <laughs> John Wolverine. Wolverine. John Wolverine. Pizza. <laughs> Rogwe. The, the incredible neat Rouge. creeler. Yeah. Um, okay. Slops. So, so, so before we... Uh, Cryo. You know, a- a- Act one ends with the storming of the mansion. Act two ends with uh, sort of Magneto joining the team. Uh, By the do, way, do we... this is the, the biggest bit of comic book logic in the entire movie is when they're being shot down by missiles. <laughs> and they just very so happenly to be get luckily get to be shot down near where yeah. Magneto was apparently just wandering around the woods. Yeah, no, he just yeah. happens to be if, in the woods. If then. you look closely, if you look closely, you can see uh, Captain America in the background in uh, in Alaska. <laughs> so, so there, there's here's something that, that puzzled me while I'm watching this, and we can well before before we launch into this. Um, so Wolverine and his you know, cadre of young Mouseketeers end up at uh, Bobby's house in Boston. And I, by the way, I had forgotten that Bobby was from Boston in this yeah. film. But there was a point where um, when he said, my parents live in Boston, my out loud response was, of course they do. <laughs> um, hey, now. They, sorry, Wait, are sorry. they in Boston or are they J-O-B? Uh, they, they, they are definitely just outside of Boston. That is yeah, not yeah, Boston. Yeah, I was going to say, that is not We have at least one Boston, Boston native here. and That, yeah. is, <laughs> that is clearly... The Vancouver suburb of Boston. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so th- th- they go to Boston, and Wolverine, uh, he finally finds beer. It's Miller Genuine Draft, but he, he, he plows through. 
I nearly no offense the to you, Miller fans. No. We, 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 have, we have no problem with Miller time. We, we, have, we have the coming out scene, and, and what bothered me about the coming out scene was, as, as we discussed before, it's just really on the nose. <laughs> like, a, a layer of subtlety is helpful, and the film does a pretty good job with that throughout. Um, thinking about it in terms of the way that Bobby's parents handled it versus the way... Jason's parents, a.k.a. Stryker and, and his wife handled it, is interesting. Um, but it just seemed a little on the nose to me. This is 11 years down the line, though, and the uh, eh, the, the position of um, gay rights and the perception of homosexuality in our culture has changed drastically in the last 11 years. Uh, at, at the time, I feel like I, I remember feeling kind of clever, that I had noted that, that this was it? an obvious parallel when I saw this in the theaters. <laughs> but I am also from the rural South, so I, I it, it is not something that is discussed. Well, it was verbatim like the script of some late oh, yeah. 90s after-school special. It, yeah, they, they were probably, literally oh, yeah. using, you know, the yeah. have, you, have you tried not mm. being a mutant, and we still love you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be honest, I felt like the mutants were being kind of, kind of jerks in this scene. That <sighs> they weren't acknowledging the position like the, the the realistic uh, feelings that this family would have about suddenly discovering that their son is genetically drastically different than they are, that their son is technically a new species. Yeah. Uh, and you, you got to give them at least five seconds to adjust <laughs> yeah. to that. No, Come on. Mutants are incredibly dickish in this movie. Especially They're pretty Xavier. Yeah. Especially Xavier, <laughs> well, who also, is constantly freezing large crowds of people yeah. and doesn't understand yeah. why anybody feels threatened by this. No, no, there's we nothing to be afraid of. We in the final scene, but that is the most overt possible you threat you could make to well, the president. We oh, have gotten in this? here. We have frozen everybody. Nobody knows we're here. Just know that. <laughs> <laughs> While like, we're at Bobby's house, can I ask what the hell kind of news report is playing on his brother's computer? Like, just for no reason. <laughs> yeah, this is 2003! <laughs> well, it's just the like. The kid's taking... lucky to be getting like 56k down. <laughs> also, just from the front of like taking care of poor Rogue, like. Wow. Her boy, like she has one line, right? She goes, "Bobby is gifted." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like we're not going to address the fact that, like, literally, your boyfriend just got disowned by his entire family. We're not going to yeah. have that moment. Instead, we're just going to fight about whether we're going to get out of the jet or not. <laughs> I do think. I see. I, th- I think that that that's a little interesting, though. And just talking about this is, is kind of raising this in my mind. We. uh from our perspective, since the X-Men are our protagonist and we know that they're, they are well-intentioned individuals. Um, I don't know it, that. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, but just because of the way that the story is told, the metaphor that's in place, it, it's very easy for us to, to, to side with the X-Men. But t- take the president in this film, for example. The president's position throughout this film is entirely rational. I mean, he begins the film by yeah. He he begins the film by nearly being assassinated by something that only a mutant could do, and ends the film by being threatened by something that only mutants could do. And he's like, we're not given any information about him. There's no evidence that he's really done anything wrong or is a bad guy. Like, yeah, mutants he... are extremely threatening in yeah. this film. And the, the, and the fear the fear of them conceptually is not entirely unjustified. 
<laughs> yes, particularly the particularly as they bring Nightcrawler with them to that visit to the White House. So, like, here's yeah. your here is your would be assassin. We've gotten him in here again. He could easily kill you right now, and no one could stop him. Not not just but that. This is your, not your would be assassin. Your would be assassin giggling in the corner. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Just sitting there looking demonic as shit, waving he was literally- at you. Perched like a gargoyle, and there is no mention of the fact that he was not under his own free will yeah, yeah. when he tried to assassinate you. He was mind controlled with the scariest drug imaginable. Yeah, yeah. The president does not know that. That's nope. just yes. they just brought his Although assassin with them. Although they just gave him a file that says that, but he, I, I, time to he has not read that imag- part of the file yet, though. That's probably- I imagine that the speech that he gives after that threat <laughs> is made to him, yeah, is it, it, I'm like. He, he's not viewing this in a sympathetic light right now. Like, and I just was really frustrated that we didn't get to see or hear any of that speech. Like, mm. that could have set the tone for so much about the film, like the way we interpret this film or expect the next film to be. Yep. But instead, it's just like, well, here's a presentation of information for you, Mr. President, and now we'll cut away from that completely and pretend that it doesn't matter. Yeah. Also, the president looks a lot like Mitt Romney. I mean, he's generic Hair's white guy not president. as nice. Hair's not as nice. Yeah. He's generic white guy like president, and rem- Mitt Romney is one of our generic. more generic white yeah. guy candidates in a long, long time. He reminded yeah. me of the president who took over from David Palmer in 24. Yes. Gardner, I think his name was, who was the epitome of the generic white president. Yes. Okay. Um, so, so we've got this this plot unfolding the threads are starting to come together and now they have to go back to alkali lake but before we do that we get to what lillian alluded to which is wolverine's uh series of wet dreams <laughs> and i i remember this for some reason it's just it, increasingly it, disturbing yeah, yeah, this, yeah, this like, didn't oh. strike me as funny when i saw it in theaters but when when mystique morphs from gene to rogue to storm and then to Stryker, this time I laughed, like, was rolling on the floor laughing as I watched it. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, hot Brian Cox, Hugh Jackman action. Yeah. Well, his, well their my... names are Jackman and Cox. It's right there in the name. <laughs> it's right there. But, like, how does she know? Can I just ask that question? How does she know that... There's a there's a striker issue with him. Oh, well, because, yeah, that's a good point. because she was, um, I, I would say two things. She knows who Stryker is, obviously, because she was masquerading as Bruce Davison yes. at the beginning of the yes. And and by the way, I loved. Mm, well, I don't know if "loved" is the right word. I loved how Bruce Davison plays those scenes when he's Mystique in disguise, because he's very clearly a more feminine Bruce Davison in those <laughs> scenes than he was in the first film. I would assume that she knows this stuff because she broke into Stryker's computers earlier in the film. Did she print? Did she print out Wolverine stuff along with all the other <laughs> the stuff? The most really exciting fast. printer scene since *Clear and Present Danger*. <laughs> La basura. Garbage. Garbage. Like she Gar- was too. She was too busy looking at Rem- Remy LeBeau's stuff. Like. Your favorite X Men, kind of Stephen. She escapes. It actually is my favorite X Men. We're probably going to have this even. fight about when we get to X Men Origins Wolverine. Oh, and you know who's playing who's him your in a new X Men? Channing Tatum. I hate, I hate Gambit, Tatum. and Channing Tatum is oh. now playing Gambit. So the most oh. generic actor in the world is playing the worst X Men in the world. So there we go. 
He is from Alabama, though. Maybe God. he can get the accent right. Uh, okay, so now we're at the point where we we have Stryker's plan. And Stryker's um, plan is to weaponize Xavier and use him to use his brain, nothing terrifying, to yes. kill all of the mutants on the yes, planet. Yes, again, at several points in the film, Patrick Stewart outright states, yeah, I could kill everybody with my brain. This is not a threat. Yeah, don't worry, guys. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Yeah, I could be trusted. Trust yeah. me. Um, Mutants are fucking yeah. terrified. We should kill them all. <laughs> Nick, Nick stakes out a position. I do. I, I, f- fuck mutants. <laughs> Tolerance. Yeah. I got nothing um, on that. So we, we move into this scene. The, the I, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I just need to say, don't fuck mutants. I need to take the contrarian <laughs> position, which I actually believe. Well, not not that you shouldn't have sex with mutants. I mean, the well, opposite don't fuck of Nick's position. Don't do it. Uh, okay. Don't. So, I feel like, don't write off all mutants. I mean, I feel like we were. I feel like we were talking about sort of uh, the homosexual uh, subtext here, and I feel like it's somewhat mm-hmm. similar to um, True Blood, which also has uh, uses vampires <laughs> yeah. as an allegory for. Homosexuals, and I feel and like this movie Anna has this southern accent, and it has Anna yes. Paquin again. But I think it, I think both things have the same problem that the people who are anti-vampire, anti-mutant, are entirely justified <laughs> in their beliefs <laughs> in a way that anti-gay people are not. Well, I like vampires and, and, uh, and uh, mutants pose an incredible threat to humanity, and I, I think that that's, I mean, from but the president, only... yeah, good. Only if you if you uh, piss them I, I off. I feel like the vampire and mutant divide is, is a completely different question because <laughs> only if you really believe that mutants and humans are like mutually exclusive that they can't live together that that they have different uh, you know that that because of their existence they must exist in a hierarchy instead of together amongst the same group like. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, but, I mean, yeah, the but enough enough of the mutant rhetoric is about that. And they can fucking kill you with their brains. Even if they're not well, going to, can kill you they can't. <laughs> yeah. yes. Humans do a really good job of killing each other with bullets, and we are not divided along species lines. P.S. Speaking Sorry, I've had quite a bit of alcohol at this point. Speaking about fucking Rogue in particular, can I just uh, say that as, like, a sex-positive feminist, I felt so awful for her because I just wanted somebody to take her aside and be like, Honey, this okay. is a vibrator. We'll oh, teach Bobby yeah. how to use it, and we will be uh, fine. Oh, no. Yeah. Why, why can't they get some kind of latex bodysuit? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's yeah, doable. Get, uh, like in the naked gun. Yeah. yeah. Or, like, yeah, get, like, one of those, like, radiation suits, like, or, uh, or what they cooked this... meth in in, uh, in uh, Breaking, Breaking Bad, Bad, and you can, like, cut out a hole and a put a condom suit. on this, it. There this you is go. what Gene yeah. should have oh, been speaking, teaching Speaking that. of cutting out, I'm cutting all of this out. <laughs> <laughs> It's a real question that I have. Like, it bothers me. Like, you'd think somebody would be like, they're a way, like, it let's can't give be you that some hard. gloves. You, <laughs> you'd think that, like, at some point, Tony Stark would have just sat down and invented it. Wrong universe. Wrong universe. <laughs> yeah. This is Earth 10005, you <laughs> so idiot. So let's, let's get there back. There is no Tony Stark. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> let's get back to uh, to our conversation. So we have the break-in <laughs> to Stryker's Alkali Lake base. And we get Cyclops. Uh, Cyclops reappears after being out of the film for about an hour. 
Yes. And he, get, he gets his... <laughs> I had his, literally uh, forgotten how what had happened to him. I was like, wait, Cyclops is here. What the fuck? What, what have he done lately? I, like, yeah, I had he, to like think through, like, oh yeah, he was captured, and nothing happened since then. He gets his checkoff moment. Yes. <laughs> where where he, he's, uh, he's got the, the scar on the back of his neck, and he attacks Gene. Um... And of course, this is supposed to be played as you know incredibly difficult for Jean because of the uh, her relationship with Scott. Unfortunately, because Jean does not get the screen time she needs beforehand, it doesn't really play out as strongly as it could. Uh, but th- th- this is—we talked about this in the first film. It irritates the hell out of me that this is how we treat Cyclops. Yeah. Um. A pathological need to make him seem not cool. Well, why? I, I think what we came to with the first film is that the reasoning behind that is, if you're establishing Wolverine as the central character in your film, then consequently all other characters are defined by their relationships to him. Yeah, he's the, he's there to be the stick in the mud standing in the way of Wolverine being the cool guy. Yeah, so Wolverine sees him as a uh, an impediment an obstacle, and so that's how we as the audience are standing in the way of that woman who loves him for no real reason. Exactly. See, I don't believe that she loves him. I, 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 fully, I fully agree with what she actually says to him, which is like, I flirted with you, and now I realize uh-huh. that I shouldn't have done that, and I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That seems reasonable. Yeah, well, that, that shades Wolverine's character in a different way, though, if the love is entirely unrequited. Yeah, it certainly yeah. makes the later sequels more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> the, like the 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 love Wolverine. <laughs> the um, love Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> the Wolverine, not Wolverine Origins. The um, love Wolverine. <laughs> but I, yeah, I just I and I think I don't necessarily need like three extra scenes with Jean. Um, but I think the the big issue for me with that Scott fight is that she doesn't even have like. I just can't not compare it to Avengers, where Black Widow is fighting Hawkeye, and she's like, "How she has do her I?" Her badass moments, yeah, yeah. And all all she really needs to do is have a moment of like, "Scott, please stop." And instead, she's just like, "I'm gonna blast you. I'm gonna blast you and break a dam in the process." Like, let's no, just do does, it. She doesn't even blast him in a particularly interesting way. I mean, that that Black Widow Hawkeye fight is an a visually interesting fight. Like, we're we're seeing two people who are at the top of their game fight each other, and this is just kind of like I beam. Force push. I mean, force push. It's like something. It's like one of the lesser fights in a Star Trek prequel or Star Wars prequel. Yeah, it's just it's not. I feel like it's not imaginatively storyboarded. Like there's no. so many things you could. Do. It's it's one of those great fan wank conversations. Is if you know if Cyclops and Jean Grey fought, who would win? Mm-hmm. And instead, it's just three beats and the dam explodes. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Did, did anyone bring up how underused? Uh, sorry, I was out of the room. Uh, how underused Iceman is in this whole third act? Because he <laughs> seems like got, the most no. obvious like asset that the team has. I think this is the time for you to talk about this. Yes. <laughs> okay. Your time to shine. Please <laughs> tell us all how I, Iceman I have, is cooler than he is, dude. This is all been leading I, I up to this one moment. Argument to present or anything, but I I feel like there are any there are an infinite number of ways that Iceman could have been used in this uh, act, uh, from freezing the lake to freezing the layer of water between the dam and the rest of the lake to literally doing anything <laughs> uh, that, that would have resolved the 
you know, uh, completely altered the, the substructure of the plot that led up to Jean Grey needing to leave the Blackbird jet at the end yeah. and therefore sacrificing herself. Does he, uh, does he use I his... I feel like Brian Singer is a, a good writer, and he is a very talented human being. He didn't write this. Uh, and he understands the X-Men, and he understands uh, story structure and, and all of these things that you need mm-hmm. to, to make a good film. Uh, I think he's very talented, but I, I feel like he should have worked a little harder... Mm-hmm on Iceman's relationship to the rest of what was going on here. I, I hate to correct you. Brian Singer only did the story. The screenplay was written okay. by none other than David Hayter, whom you out there know better as Solid Snake. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Is Solid, Solid Snake Sna- again for the yes. sequel? That's funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, what was I going to say? Oh, um, unless I'm mistaken, I don't think Iceman uses his powers again in the movie after freezing his mom's tea. I don't think they okay. I don't think they yeah. can contrive a single use for him despite this being a very watery frozen nope. finale. At no point does yeah, anyone say, "Hey, you know what we've got? That guy over there who's an omega level mutant and has control over <laughs> over uh thermal dynamics. Let's yeah. have him have a role." Yeah, nothing. No. Absolutely nothing. I well, just realized that's... that there hasn't been a Metal Gear Solid film, and that is amazing to me. Uh, the, the Metal Sorry, Gear Solid film is Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> I'm saying. That's yeah, fair. they don't really need movies. They're like 80% yeah. movie to begin with. Yeah. You were saying, Lillian? I, well, my problem is, like, again, this goes back to the coming out scene. I feel like it would make sense for that scene to have thrown him into an actual funk. But instead of having a moment of explaining why he's not, you know, serving story structure reasons... He's just hiding in there yeah. because he's a good little boy <laughs> with Rogue. Actually, that, yeah. that, that, that's, that's interesting because the the narrative... I mean, you, you have that coming out scene. It is. It should be important that that's him mm-hmm. in that coming out scene. But because yeah. he has no plot function for the rest of the film, it's not really important that it's him. I mean, imagine, no, true. imagine from his perspective... You know, you've just unburdened this great secret to your family. Mm. And then your brother goes upstairs. And yeah, you're rejected. Not only rejects you, calls the police on you and tries to get you arrested. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. imagine how awful that would be. Like, you could mm. literally just turn the entire rest of the movie into him dealing with that, that level of betrayal yeah. from the people he loved the most. Instead, yep. entirely, entirely forgotten. Entirely yes. forgotten. Also, what were, the, what were the cops doing in that scene that they didn't, when they came up to the house, they didn't want, once ask who the homeowner was, who was holding them hostage. You have to understand, just, Boston Police they, Department is very incompetent. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Just how, how I, mean, I, think, I think the idea is that they are just Speaking going to assume until they can sort everybody out that they will just, you know, detain and arrest everybody and then figure out who the who is who, just because mm-hmm. how else could they? Yeah. Yeah. So, Bobby's uselessness at this point set aside. Stryker is attempting to uh, use Xavier's brain to kill all of the mutants on the planet. Uh, Wolverine goes off on his own to fulfill his B-plot and has a a fight with Kelly Hugh. Much Uh, longer fight than the Cyclops Jean Grey fight. Yeah, yeah. Is it Hugh or who? Uh, I would probably say who, actually. Yeah. Uh, Kelly Hugh. Uh, she, uh, She plays China White on Arrow, right? Yes, she does. Yeah. Okay. I wanted her to be Lady Shiva, but she was not. I remember when they were casting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They didn't take your input, Lillian. Well, uh, uh, 
in in the real world, I work at a talent agency, and at the time we oh, were okay. actually covering um, uh, oh. David Rappaport who cast Arrow, um, and I remember oh, right. that breakdown in particular. <laughs> nice. um, okay, because it was very vague, um, but it was like cool mm-hmm. Asian woman who does martial arts, and I was like, this has got to be Lady Shiva, and then it was not. Yeah, no. <laughs> nice. Um, so we we have that fight. I I actually really like that fight. Uh. And there's a couple things that I like about it. One, it's incredibly brutal. There's a lot of different stabbings of those two people <laughs> in that fight. Yep. And it is it is really exceptionally violent. I, I love when, uh, I almost called her Lady Shiva, when Deathstrike <laughs> grows out her, uh, her adamantium nails for the first time. I love Wolverine's holy shit moment. It, it was an appropriate piece of levity for yep. that moment. And uh, I, I love the ending of the fight when she's been stabbed through with the adamantium and you see for a second her eyes go back to normal. Like mm-hmm. yeah. stri- Stryker's uh, juice that had been shoved onto her neck. Like she's not she's not in that anymore. And you see she, she has no idea where she is. She has no idea really what's happened, but she just knows that she's about to die. And I thought that was such a, a sweet moment for that. I still don't. I still don't think there's any reason that she should die from that, though. She can't. She's she can't her heart can't beat. It's filled with adamantium. It, given what we, given how absurd the healing factors are in the Marvel universe, I don't think that should be an issue. She's just going to be an alive no, if, person full of ad, adamantium. If her heart is literally filled with metal so that it cannot plump, plump, <laughs> pump blood through the body, then it does make sense that the the organic form would no longer be able to function because literally nothing is able to travel through the various I mean, he systems. Just, he, the, he doesn't, but he doesn't stab her in the heart. He just kind of stabs her in like the abdomen and pumps her body full. There's no reason okay. to think that it necessarily got into her heart. Well, it seems to have gotten out of most of the circulatory system just because it's like leaking from her tear ducts, right? Tear ducts and yeah. yeah. I don't think tear ducts are connected to the uh, heart, though. Pretty sure tear ducts are connected. No, actually, are, not in you. That's not the lymphatic system, is it? <laughs> that would make the yeah, no, lymphatic. He sense. got the adamantium yeah. into the lymph nodes. Oh no! <laughs> that would definitely kill. Medical hour with the Did you guys know that Kelly Who's first uh, major film role was in Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight, Jason Takes Manhattan, making her yet another uh, actor whose first film role was in a horror movie. Mm. No, Particularly I didn't. part of the uh, I learned so like Nightmare on Elm Street. So you're just IMDBing <laughs> every single person in movie that we mentioned here. That's what you're doing, right? He's doing his I research. Mean, yeah, I'm. I'm. You know, adding color commentary to the film. Okay. The thing, so the thing we we have we have our fight scene. Film. I mean podcast. Um, <laughs> Xavier is hooked up to his doomsday device, and Magneto breaks into the doomsday device. And reveals his true intentions that he's going to use the Doomsday Device to kill all of the humans on the planet. And he floats kill up in the humans. air and starts rearranging planets. Or rearranging plates. For some wall. reason. Yes, he has to reprogram it. why there were blank plates left, right? It, it, you left blank plates, period, so that you could differentiate this from the real Cerebro in the diagram. And now you had to have a reason for those blank plates, so they need to be rearranged. Yeah, but I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing about because the, the reason that he's able to try and kill all the humans is that he, he the uh, fucking mind Jason is uh, telling him to kill all humans. 
There's no indication yeah. that anything involved in actually the configuration of Cerebro actually needs to be changed. It's just sort of a cool, like, I'm floating and there's plates flying yes. around me, shaft. I 100% agree with you. Yeah. Yes. Well, but at, the just, sa- at the same why, time, I... Why is Professor X so gullible that he's like, oh, yes, this is the right thing to do? <laughs> like, yeah. originally, like, I thought it was that, like, we're going to find all the, all the mutants and it's hard to find the mutants, so we have to focus really hard in order to find them. But, like... So, so to find all the humans. <laughs> so the real problems in this film can be traced to A, Xavier is extremely gullible. <laughs> and two, Xavier doesn't understand what other people find threatening. The wonderful psychic. The wonderful psychic. He has no idea. He oh my god. He has no idea how terrifying he is. Yeah. He poses such a threat to humanity. Yeah. And he just flaunts it. He flaunts his ability to control all of us and kill us with his brain and then demands not to be taken as a threat. No, no, guys. I can be trusted. (laughs) I have a charming British accent. So, we're, we're racing toward the climax here. And this is where the film really does become Wrath of Khan. In a very powerful way. Uh, so, Gene the character that should have been getting all of this development throughout the film. As the dam is breaking, as the day is saved, they're trying to get away from the Motaro Nebula. I'm sorry, from the breaking dam. In their ship. And uh, they can't reach proper speed because the ship is is broken. They can't get it off the ground. Rogue crashed it. Yep, so so Jean takes it upon herself to leave leave the bridge... And go and hold back the force that is preventing them from getting away. She steps outside. um, And before anyone realizes what's happening, no one can save her because she won't let them. She sacrifices her life so that they can get away. There are two things about this scene. Ignoring the fact that it is exactly like the Wrath of Khan. There are are no parallels. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, two, Two things about it that I really think we should talk about one um we spoke earlier about gene's journey throughout the film if gene had had a clearer journey and really been that secondary protagonist i feel like this moment would have made a had a lot more strength behind if gene had had any arc at At all all. written into the (laughs) film (laughs) she has nightmares she can blow up some but not all missiles and she dies. That yeah. is her say plot. That she hadn't. She didn't have events. She has no arc. Yes. No. I'm agreeing with you. I am. Yeah. I, those are those are being used as examples because those okay. are the entire. That is the entirety of her plot points. Oh, and she catches uh, Nightcrawler in midair. And, and she. Somehow, and she does not love Wolverine. Yes. Yeah. That Nightcrawler in the church scene didn't make sense either. Because why was he falling at all? Why wasn't he immediately teleporting? Anyway, yeah. And why can't and why can't he teleport out of her? thing or or, yeah. or out of the church <laughs> uh, um, teleporters are hard okay teleporters are real hard to write they're so <laughs> yeah. goddamn hard to write <laughs> yeah i believe that. it's, it's so, one of my biggest problems with the tomorrow like people because they're not teleporting all the goddamn time there are all these <laughs> yeah. fights between different tomorrow people and yeah. they should be fu- they're constantly getting punched in the face and i'm like you could have just teleported you could have teleported <laughs> you, you and want, not get uh, punched in the face 
You want Jumper, is what you're saying. Tomorrow people like to punch, too. Jumper was so bad, and I wanted it to be so cool. As somebody who is anyway, a giant fan of teleportation, it's like up there with uh, ice, ice powers, powers for me. I really, I I really feel like people do not use teleportation enough. Also, Dude, you one saw of the- Jumper in theaters? Yes. Yes, I did. Oh I respect wow. your decision. I like that. Because I, I thought it was going to be fun bad, not bad bad. Okay. okay. I thought there was going to be any quotable lines in the film. Nope. Anyway. Uh, I mean, how I, do yeah, you have a Samuel Jackson like time line travel. without... If you use it too much, then it can just be applied to anything and it loses all meaning. But the thing about time travel is that at least you can try and like explain why it's not happening because of paradox reasons. But yeah. they, they sort of try and bind Nightcrawler with that, like, if I can't see where I'm going, it's very dangerous. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, never mind, you're fine. Oh, it's fine. Yeah. I did it. <laughs> it doesn't I can do well, it. Who knew I did it? Well, to be fair, well, to be fair the, the, the room that he does do that into is pretty much empty. <laughs> There's yeah, almost yeah, nothing in Cerebro. All he has to do is, like, okay, how thick is the door? And I should probably go past that, but then maybe there are people past that and not go into them. Yeah, right. exactly. Okay, yeah, all, all he needs to be explained is, all right, this is a two-foot door, and it's like 12 feet to uh, to where Professor X will almost certainly be sitting. Yeah. Don't teleport If we're getting into semantics, yeah. does, does Nightcrawler's body, is it just filled with dust? Like, <laughs> is he just... Co- no, it's why you do you, do you want it's to know the, the atmosphere of the of the dimension that he is teleporting through. <laughs> do you want through? to know what the actual answer is? Does because I will places? tell you, but it is kind of stupid. Is yes, that the answer I just yes. gave. So that is what this podcast yes. is about. Okay. It, the you, actual you were answers. close, Nick, but you forgot a key point. The oh, dimension he's me. teleporting through is hell. Hell. Because his father is a demon. Oh. That's right, that's right, okay. I know it smells a, like brimstone. I didn't know that it was explicitly hell. It's specifically Mephisto's hell. That's not stupid at all. That is awesome. <laughs> He's teleporting through hell. Um, oh, one other thing. We were talking about how, like, Storm is, is becomes important there at the very end because she is the only one that could, uh, mm-hmm. you know, make it cold in there. You know what? Who else could make it cold? Fucking Iceman! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, you got, the, you got the guy, that you got the lady true. who has weather powers, and you got the guy whose only ability is to make shit cold. Also, Iceman, Iceman. Iceman would not freeze Nightcrawler in the process because he has directed cold. Yes. <laughs> Iceman, again, places where Iceman's powers, and probably that would be much easier for Iceman to accomplish. Because I do yeah. not think that Iceman is powerful enough to stop a goddamn lake. Nope. At least at I didn't this mean point, that he should stop a lake. I meant that he should freeze the lake while it was still, and/or freeze a layer of ice between the lake and the dam. Okay, he might yeah, be able to do that. I still think I still think that's asking a lot for a guy whose biggest accomplishment so far is freezing a cup of tea. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, he put up that whole ice wall out of nothing. Okay, just oh, yeah, that. That's and he okay. made a beautiful rose. A beautiful rose. Okay. Yeah. All right. And, and he was like, I mean, that was specific. He. he Sorry, sorry, go on. Go All on. right, well, anyway, he might be able to do it, but clearly that's going to be very taxing on him. I don't think making that room cold would be particularly difficult for Iceman. He could do the fuck out of that. He doesn't even yeah. need to make the room cold. He can just shoot his fucking ice frost at uh, at the fake girl Jason person, and problem fucking solved. Once again, yeah. why is Storm even in the movie? Like her, because her, her she won her, her fucking Oscar. Oh, that's why. I mean, Storm is a crucial member of the X Men, but I feel like we're running into a basic problem that a lot of like white male writers have, which is writing for women, also writing for women of color. 
and I don't mean to just identify Storm. Pretty as sure that one of the writers was. Of pretty sure one of the writers wasn't a white man. I mean, okay. Well, I, I haven't looked at the list of writers, but yeah. in general, you know, it's it's why there are not as many good Shirley storylines in Community because they're they're just you don't run into a lot of good stories for uh, middle-aged women, let alone middle-aged mm-hmm. women of color, yeah. when they're know. part of an ensemble cast. Well, yeah, no, the only time we see two women talking to each other is Storm and Jean on their mission. It, it's very weird. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. incredibly weird. <laughs> well, no, no. Rogue tells uh, Bobby's mom that he's very gifted. Bobby yes, but she's gifted. talking about a man. Yeah, therefore, she, therefore it fails the Bechdel test. not two women specifically. Yeah. <laughs> the um, I do like that line though that he is gifted. Like that, that's the point. Like, yeah. he is really gifted. They they get right to the heart of it. Yeah. Anyway, he can make so, a snowman. So, yeah. You know, with within that climax, we've got Jean going down to do the Spock thing. She sacrifices herself. What follows is actually, apart from the prison break, maybe my favorite moment in the film, and the one that just goddamn kills me about the way the film treats Cyclops. There's the moment where after Gene's gone, Wolverine is trying to stop Cyclops from getting out of the plane and tells Cyclops that Gene is gone. And Cyclops snaps, just grabs him and shakes him and says, no, she's not gone. Don't say that. Don't say that. And James Marsden acts his goddamn heart out in that scene. Mm-hmm. And it works, and it's affecting, and it's beautiful because Wolverine's coming to terms with this at the same time that Cyclops is coming to terms with it. They've both lost the woman they love. It's the same woman, and they only have each other to comfort themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's a brutal scene. If Cyclops had been given any characterization... <laughs> prior to this scene, it would be incredibly affecting. As it is, we have to rely only on their acting to get through it. And and this gets back to my one of my earlier points. This has always been a series that has been held up by the power of its great actors. Uh, Poor James Marston. But he gets he gets treated with such dignity in the next movie. God damn. Just feel, uh, there's just this yeah. huge feeling of fear I'm getting from everybody about X3. I don't want to talk it's, about that yet. Okay, can, this this gets at another problem that I have with this film. It is not X3. It is X-Men The Last... Is it The Last Stand? The Last Stand! Uh, this is X2. Yes. We had X-Men, X2, and X-Men... The Last Stand. Was it? Then X-Men the Origins stand. Wolverine, then X-Men, X-Men First Class. Bur- this one is also called, like, X2, X-Men United? Yeah. Yes. Like, the... The, the titles of these films are so inconsistent, and X2 is a really bad title for a film. It would be like, I, it would be like The Godfather, G2, and then yes. The Godfather 3, <laughs> The Final Sacrifice. Yes. However, the X2 the sounds three, like a really good This play. one has an opera. <laughs> the X2 uh, just sounds like a really good plane, though. It's like a really awesome yeah. jet. Or a math like, problem. That's what the name of the Blackbird <laughs> yeah. Jet should be. X2. And Solver I love the Blackbird Jet. It's one of the few toys that I had as a child. One of the few, like, officially licensed X-Men toys. <laughs> yeah, the Blackbird's fucking awesome. Yes, it is. Uh, also, it grew between X1 and X2. Oh, totally. Yeah. That's what she said. I mean, was it... It was a... I remembered it being a fairly standard, just real-world real SR-71 in the first movie. And here it's clearly not. Maybe its mutant power is to grow cooler between films. (laughs) 
I don't know if that's true. The SR-71 is pretty fucking cool to begin with. So, we've, uh... I suppose we've solved for X. The main plot is resolved. Whoa! That was my joke! You stole my joke! I'm sorry for stealing your joke. How dare you get zigs on my joke? We escape from Canada after, uh... All humans on the planet have been tried to be killed. And uh, then we get to the Oval Office. Mm-hmm. Nick, do you want to talk a little bit more about the Oval <laughs> Office? I feel like I've talked about this a whole lot, but... So, alright, he's in the middle of this speech. The president uh, is the heat. The president is in the middle of the speech. He wants to check with his speechwriters whether or not they like the word annihilate. Uh, so yeah. it's essentially a speech about how... Like, 7 billion people on Earth all almost simultaneously died. Uh, and, which is probably the absolute best, uh, like, hey, the mutants are dangerous because we all almost died all at the same time. <laughs> How did they even know that? Like, I don't understand where that information came from. I'm not sure. I mean, it's, po- okay. it's we don't really know the contents of the speech, so it's possible he doesn't know yeah. that it's mutant-related. But certainly, mm-hmm. certainly everybody but has I mean, to have gone, you know what, we all just kind of died, right? That just happened. <laughs> Yeah, okay. and and also probably by process of elimination, like it's not unreasonable to think that people would have jumped to that conclusion. Everyone yeah. is talking about Fair how enough. dangerous mutants are. Then everyone yeah. almost dies. Yeah. yeah, and you have to think probably some people who didn't know they were mutants accidentally got outed by this. Because okay. they weren't dying, or they were dying, and then everyone was like, "What the fuck's going on?" Or, Bruce? or they and looked then, around and saw everyone pretending to die and went. Oh. Yeah, just <laughs> drop, anyway, drop so he's in the he's starting his speech no soap and uh the power goes out and then everyone is frozen in place because for some reason this is one of Professor X's abilities. Mm-hmm. Uh and fucking all of the X-Men are there, including, as I mentioned, his goddamn would-be assassin. And while, he while what one more thing. While for no good reason. A lightning storm is happening outside. Yeah, for some reason, <laughs> yeah. for some reason, a uh, storm is just uh, is just showing off and generating a storm here, uh, just to further cement that we are gods on Earth and we have complete power over you. Don't fuck with us. That is essentially yes. the message of their speech. But he very explicitly says, "This is not a threat." Wall, <laughs> very, very overtly threatening the president of the United States in front of him, while no one can do anything about it. Although, I mean, to be fair, like, Professor X is, he is the best mutant that you could have. Like, he's one of the best beings on Earth. He has better intentions than anyone else you could run into. But the but president do doesn't know, know that. that. Dude, but nobody know, knows but that. He's the guy who just almost evidence, killed 7 no, billion people. The, the evidence is that he does have absolute control in this situation. What he is saying with his actions as well as his words, is that given this absolute control that he clearly has because it's evidenced in the situation, he will he, he has no desire to use it for anything ill because he doesn't in this situation. He does not threaten him. He's being very honest. Yes, but I, c- I would imagine that someone in this situation would not see that. I feel yes, like the president... I feel like the president would... When he says this is not a threat... The president would see that as a lie. Because (laughs) he has brought a a lady who generates electricity, and the person who tried to stab him, uh, like, three days ago, and a bunch of other scary fucks, into his office. He's frozen everybody around him, cut him off from everyone in the world. 
But the purpose of doing all this is not with a message of do, like, uh, elevate mutants above everyone else or we'll kill you. His message is, we want to tell you what's really happening, and we want us to get along. His message is one of getting along. I understand that that's what his intended message is. I don't think no, he's I mean, doing a very good message. job of presenting that message to the president. I think I'm talking he's about what he actually says. Like, yeah, his, but his I don't think the president evident. is listening to what he actually says because it's fucking terrifying what is happening right now. <laughs> it is like it's like that, that nuclear it's situation. It's like it, we're going to have all the weapons. We're not going to use them, but mm-hmm. we're we're just we're just going to have them, and you shouldn't have them. Yeah, but, but don't no, worry I about think, it. I think that that message is is very evident in itself that having all the weapons and the fact that you didn't know about that before because mm-hmm. they have never been used for anything is evidence that this power can be trusted with mm. us. <laughs> I, this is turning into a okay. very massive discussion about the power of tyranny. <laughs> Sorry, it, and it, it comes Mars. back to my. I just it, it comes I, back to my I do not trust this movie. I, I do not trust the mutants. The they're clearly they're, they will clearly destroy us all. So Nick, <laughs> but they Nick took one message away from this film. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying that you know they can get along because his what he says to the president is is please we want to get along. I want to get along with you. I can do all of this stuff, and what I am saying to you is, I want to, I don't want to use this power for anything bad, and that is very important. Dude, uh, imagine, imagine if you had gotten into a fight with somebody, and mm-hmm. you came home, and they put a gun to your head, and said, "I want mm-hmm. to get along. I, I have this gun. I could shoot you in the head, but we should be friends." How would you feel about that person? Would you, would you I, take them at their words? Or uh, is the because person that's Patrick what he's doing? That's what he's doing. <laughs> he has brought point. his assassin, who he does not know, the president does not know is mind-controlled. He has brought this assassin back into the White House. He has frozen everybody around him, and yes. he, is, he is demonstrating Nick, saying, his amazing power. Yes, I, Nick, what I'm saying is that what he does is threatening. Yes. But what he does not do is evidence of the lack of threat. Because if that person comes into my home and puts a gun to my head and says, I want to be your friend and does not kill me, then the then all evidence presents to me the situation that, I mean, the truth is that they do not want to kill me because they could have and did not. But they want, some, they want something enough that they're willing to make extremely grave threats without actually getting, like... Well, but that yes, your, 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 your metaphor is a, proving Bester's point. No, I don't think that it is, because the point is that there's a difference between a presentation of power, like proving that you have the power to do something, and an actual spoken threat. Yeah, but no one in that situation is saying, I will use this to kill you if you do not do what I say. What he's saying is, I have this power, and I do not want to use it. I want you to get along with us. He's trying to create a version of the world where the president understands wait, wait. that Question. mutants have all the power, but... Okay. Here's a question. Here, I have a question for everybody. I feel like I can, I can, I can bring this back to something earlier: the gift conversation. Because fuck authorial intent. That is clearly what his intent is. But I do that not was believe. Prior to when we started that, 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 I don't, don't care. I don't care. I don't care. The, the point is, is it doesn't, ma- it doesn't matter what his intentions are because I don't believe that's how this, how that will be received. Me, well, yeah. that is fair. Here's that a, is a fine distinction to make and an important. Here's one. a question I want to ask but everybody. How do you feel about knowing someone personally that has owns a gun? Because that's what a lot of what it comes down to is 
If you know I've someone owned, who I've has a gun, I've owned guns most of my life. Yeah, I was about to say, I know, I know you have, and you know, I think most of you know my yeah. stepfather was a firearms enthusiast. But if you're okay with the concept of just somebody own, you know, owning a gun, then you might be okay with the concept of mutants. But if you are just intrinsically do not want that, then then you might start getting into another area. I mean, yes, there is the whole we license people to have guns, we don't license people to live aspect of it. But just moving beyond that. But, but that's that's where the weapons thing breaks down, though, is that, again, like, your options are not, like, <laughs> your options are not yeah. take away Professor X's head. <laughs> <laughs> your op- like, you can't, re- that- like, you can register mutants, but you can't actually take the weapon away. And I think that's where, you know, any comparison to um, weapons of mass destruction or firearms goes away, because the problem is that it's a person. It's a person that you're talking about. And if you consider the fact that you would have to destroy a human being or a being let's say if they're not human um if you have to con- if you have to destroy a being in order to make the world safe are you are you okay with that that's that's the ultimate conversation is like the mutant registration act was was movie 1 that this this is scarier this is like let's detain and control and then it starts to be sort of like you know the japanese internment camps it's this idea of like well they might be spies so let's take them away from everything they know let's take their businesses let's make it so that we can tightly observe and control them um and xavier is very explicit about this early in the film when storm mentions the possibility of reintroducing the registration act and xavier immediately goes to no they'll start rounding us up yeah i um I, I do think that, that is an extremely valid comparison, and I had thought about gun re- gun registration uh, being a parallel to mutant registration because I don't have a problem with gun registration per se because I think that gun registration, uh, a crucial part of it should be a, a record of uh, the, uh, the, what do you call it, um, how, how you measure a, a bullet to see what the... Uh, um, ballistics. After it's been fired. Ballistics. Yeah, ballistics. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, sorry, I've had some alcohol. Uh, we, we all tests have, dude. We all are, have. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, ballistics tests should be a crucial part of gun registration because what what that does is prove that the guns that you have were not used in a crime, but it also leads law enforcement directly to the, the guns that could have been used in a crime or were. And mutant registration, the argument for it could be that Yes, if we know who the mutants are, then we don't have to worry about them. But if we see, if we have security footage of a being teleporting inside a building and stealing money from a vault, then we have a list of people who could be teleporting, and we can go talk to them and eliminate the people who are obviously innocent and narrow it down to people who are probably, or who could be guilty. Like, that is a legitimate argument for mutant registration. That is that does not involve. Well, now we need to re- round up all mutants and put them in a camp and kill them. But I think, especially with Magneto in play, it is about that. It is that that was the first step was was the labeling of undesirables in Nazi Germany. Yes, uh, uh, yeah. Magneto's background is certainly relevant, uh, and I mean historically, like you wouldn't have this conversation without the fact that humans are capable and willing to do these things once they put a group of people in the outsider group. You, you label them as them instead of us, uh, but I, uh, I, 
I guess I do feel that it is a very relevant uh, metaphor to, because to, my, my concern about a gun owner is not whether they own a gun or not. It's like what they're going to do with that gun in a moment of anger. And my concern about a mutant would not be whether they're a mutant or not. It's what they're going to do with that power in one moment of anger. And the Magneto comparison, I think, is relevant here. And th- this is an aspect of Magneto's character that is intrinsic to who he is, but not necessarily commented on uh, directly. You know, we, we have Magneto as the Holocaust survivor. This is who he is. This has shaped his worldview. And yet, in a certain way, Magneto's approach to relations between mutants and humans uh, is, if not ideologically, then practically more aligned to the individuals that oppressed him than to the individuals that were impressed, that were oppressed. His approach is, I'm not going to let this happen to my people again. So I'm going to do it to the other people. Magneto's action toward the end of the film is to attempt genocide. Yes. There, there, there's no, no coloring of that. That, that. that is his action. That, I interpreted, was his intention all along. Mm-hmm. And so to, to just cast it as Magneto being the Holocaust survivor, therefore his motives are not only understandable but somewhat justified. We can cast his motives that way, but his actions clearly aren't. I think that makes him a more complex character than just saying he's this guy who's just trying to protect his people. It's not a matter of protection. It's a matter of protection through extermination. Yeah. That's valid. I mean, he's the king of the overreaction. We know that. That is his... (laughs) And he's so catty. (laughs) What are you going to do? Scratch the control. We love what you did with your hair. We love what you did with your hair. Magneto is what we're saying, a 16-year-old girl. Yeah. Really hey. Is. I'm not saying that. None of you I, have I been 16-year-old girls. You don't know. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Just imagining 16-year-old girls with large posters of Ian McKellen on their walls. <laughs> that is a world I want to live in. That, He's a I was man. that girl. You're welcome, everyone. I would say we live in that world, so it's okay. Yeah. Uh, it's I mean, there's... Good. There, at the very least, there are Gandalf posters. There are people who yes, have posters Gandalf, of Gandalf. Duh. Are, are there, is Gandalf a sex symbol? I'm not familiar with this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not say, I'm not saying it's a Depends on the community. Ga- I'm not saying it's a beefcake picture it's, of Gandalf. I'm just saying that there are posters of Gandalf well, that people, I some mean, of whom are 16 year old girls, What I'm asking is has anyone ever gone for Halloween as sexy Gandalf? <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Uh, yes. oh, I'm, I'm sure. Think, oh, I'm sure. Okay. I went Nick, to Carnegie Google Mellon that. University. I've seen that costume. I've seen that okay. costume. All right. That's what I wanted to know. <sighs> Thank Sexy you, Gandalf. For some reason, I don't know why, but the first result, as I was typing it in sexy, sexy robot came up. <laughs> and no, uh, no, you, you, you get you get one, uh, you get, it, uh, it's a two-part costume. It's male and a female. The male goes as sexy Gandalf, and the woman goes as his beard. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. So, that I have to recognize how incredibly clever that was, Stefan. Oh, there you Thank go. You. Yeah. Oh, that's there good. So, moving on from Ian McKellen's penis. So, oh, good lord. Nick, can you put that up again? I hadn't zoomed Two, in on you. Yeah, uh, like, uh, <laughs> and across, you can't see it in the image, but across her belly it says, "You shall not pass." Ah. <laughs> okay, that's. It needs that's to be later. in her underwear. Like that. That's really like where it needs to be. Yeah, no, it definitely needs to be on, on the underwear. Nick, send me send me that picture, and I'll include it in the show notes. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. So we've been talking about this film 
for its running time now. Yes. Uh, we're at two hours and 13 minutes. That's we how should we pro- do. We, we should, uh, I think we should start winding down, and uh, let's do, I mean, I, th- I think we were all in agreement that this is, this is a good film. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's a, yeah. a well-put-together film. We spent a lot of time nitpicking, um, but I, I think the fact that we were picking nits instead of you know, blowing the thing apart like we did with, you know, the... Uh, what, what would be the worst one? A daredevil. I don't think about it. Yeah. You like pretended to think about it for a second. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you, dude, for putting that Defoe picture back up. <laughs> it's very important. This also um, needs to be included in the show notes. Please do. Please send that to me. Um, you know, let's uh, let's go around. Let's do our sort of closing thoughts. <laughs> thank you, Fester, for putting that inexplicable picture of Gandalf on a beach. <laughs> yeah. Um. Go around, do our final thoughts. Maybe talk a, a little bit about uh, you know, what it is that that has made this film stick out for you. What you take away from it, and how it uh, how it kind of informs the way that you're you're viewing other films in this series. And we'll uh, we'll start with Patrick. I think one of the things that's worth noting about this is that you mentioned that this is the first sequel aside from Blade Two, and Blade Two, as much as I love uh, the Warrior of the Bull, as I like to call Guillermo del Toro. Um, it, that's what his name means in English. Um, it, it, it I was thought a, his name in English meant bad make or good makeup and bad robots. <laughs> Whoa! It means William of the Whoa. Bull. Yeah. Um, that, that that potential fight aside, I mean, you know, aside from Blade Two, you know, we we hadn't had a really solid sequel. I mean, the first Batman is probably the best Batman. And then things started to get weird from there. Uh, Batman and Robin is clearly the best Batman. <laughs> in, in entertainment value. Yes. And Batman Mask of the Phantasm. We're talking the Burton Schumacher series. Yes. Those four. Oh, you know, this guys. was the first... My pretentious 17-year-old pseudo-hipster Patrick aside, this was a sequel that was better than the first one. And in a lot of ways, it kind of set that stage for... You know, this isn't just going to be one off and done, as the first X Men movie really could be interpreted. You know, this is like we, we're planning to go somewhere. I mean, hell, the movie ends with Jean Grey basically going, Phoenix, 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 Phoenix. With Jean giving the Spock narration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I, reciting the iconic monologue from the first film as we pan over her would be grave. I mean, like, I'm not even going to lie to you. When I first saw this movie in the theaters, and they and you can see the little phoenix bird. I literally shouted, "Oh my God, Phoenix!" Very, very yeah, you loudly. Cheer. You cheer. Um, <laughs> it, awesome. I, I smiled when I saw it this time. Like even after all these years, yeah. that put a smile on my face. Right. Like you know, when I saw Re- Return of the King and uh, uh, Sam was hauling uh, Frodo up the mountain, I, I shouted, "Rudy, Rudy, Rudy!" <laughs> and Okay. And, well, when I say shouted, really what I did was whisper, and people turned around and gave me mean looks. Okay, slight tangent. When I first saw Iron Man, when Coulson keeps going strategic homeland, blah, 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 halfway through the movie, I actually figured out that it was S.H.I.E.L.D. and shouted it very, very loudly. And, I, uh, and half, the, awesome. half, half the audience tells me to shut the hell up. The other half, in response, goes, oh my god, he's right, it's S.H.I.E.L.D., and no one could hear anything for like the next five minutes. I, uh, I wept openly at the end of The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> Um, But anyway, back to X2. Um, You know, it's... The X-Men universe, as we will later see, gets somewhat troubled. 
and, <laughs> and it gets ratnered. <laughs> it gets somewhat <laughs> troubled, and things are to really go downhill. And you know, we we got to get back to the point where it's it's worth mentioning that as we're recording this, we're about two weeks out from. X-Men Days, Days of Future, Future Past, Past. Future which is Past. which is going to be a movie that is, in theory, so, so finally join the link of the two continuities and finally Supposed put Supposed to fix these yes. problems. Fix all yeah, of the problems I'm, actually, I'm very forward. excited that they've, you know, they've decided to write that into the continuity. Yeah, I mean, that's the only way to do it. But, you know, I just remember yeah. when I saw X2, just there was so much promise that I oh, felt yeah. was mm-hmm. coming. And I think that that is what I took away from this movie, is that this, this, was, this was promise for... I'm sure for all of us, as all big comic book nerds growing up, this was like the promise that, hey, we are here to stay and we're going to make some great things. Now, there were some stumbles <laughs> along the way. Those great things. But, but uh. to a degree, that promise has kind of been fulfilled. You know, we do, we do now live in a world where the Avengers movies are an unstoppable juggernaut, where, where um, I'm echoing... Uh, where we just this morning got to see... uh, Uh, Hold hold, hold on, Patrick, stop. Lillian, you can't have two different instances of... of, Sorry, uh, yeah, the iPad was about to die, so I had to Yeah, so you you need to kill that and plug your headphones into the other one. Yeah, I would say that the last two X-Men films, uh, the second Wolverine film and First Class, were probably my favorites. I think they've been getting... Better. They've been getting better. I mean, competition has forced them to be better. But, you know, like, as I was about, uh, kind of getting back to my point about, you know, potential, that's what, that's what this, you know, sort of represented to me when I first saw it was potential. And I can look back on it. I still see that potential. It, I see it now as a, f- a slightly more flawed film. I think – I didn't think there was too much Wolverine when I saw the movie. But now after, after years of Wolverine, there's too much goddamn Wolverine. That's a lot of fucking Wolverine. I didn't feel that way, but I certainly understand why people feel that way. Yeah. But I also, at, at my first Comic-Con last year at Baltimore Comic-Con, uh, I felt that the, there was way too much Wolverine at that con. <laughs> uh, to the point where my fake blues song about the con was called Too Much Wolverine, or Too Many Wolverines, Comic-Con Blues. <laughs> Wolverine is weird in that he's both the most popular X-Men, and yet everyone hates him because he's the most popular X-Man. And I, I don't hate him, but I understand. Yeah, I mean, it's you, you get sick of seeing him. Yeah. Bester, final thoughts. Um, I mean, I feel like I feel like we've done a pretty good job of laying out uh, how we feel about this movie. I, I think you made a good point in that. I mean, what we're what we're critiquing here about this movie, uh, we we had a lot to say about it, but it, yeah, it was fundamentally sort of nitpicking, sort of like. I wish they had done, they had handled this character better, or I wish, I wish there were better dialogue for these characters, sort of things, as opposed to, like how we talked about Daredevil most recently, but various other movies, sort of like here, here are the fundamental reasons that this is a bad movie, uh, sort of things, um, and yeah, I mean, as I said, I loved this movie when I saw it, uh, probably for a lot of the same reasons uh, that Patrick was talking about. I mean, the early 2000s was sort of a period where, uh, late 90s, early 2000s, the period where there was suddenly a lot of comic book movies. Uh, and this was really, at least of that era, the first comic book movie that I really loved. I kept going to see them, either in theaters or getting them on video when they uh, came out. 
Uh, and there were some that I liked. I mean, I didn't necessarily hate uh, Spider-Man, and I suppose Blade had its moments. But they never really clicked with me. This is the first one, uh, again, of this era, because, again, you might have, like, Su Superman or the Batman movies, uh, where it really just sort of went, that was a great movie. Uh, so I think that was really important uh, at the time. Uh, and, again, it all kind of go goes to shit in... Uh, in the in the next uh, X Men movie, which is frustrating on a whole lot of levels, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, I think I think just sort of the underutilization of the characters, and that's kind of an issue that you're going to have with such a big cast of a very diverse team of people. So inevitably, somebody's going to seem like they get too much focus. In this case, obviously, most of us think it's Wolverine, um, and there are other characters. Uh, that need more play. Uh, I think I think Stefan is right that probably, uh, even though she probably gets a fair amount of screen time total, there's not really enough development for Jean Grey. Uh, and just for personal reasons, obviously, I really want to see more uh, Iceman because I think like <laughs> Iceman, Iceman's such a cool guy. He's he's somebody who would smoke blue uh, e-cigarettes. <laughs> I was, I was waiting to see how you're going to tie this in. Yeah. <laughs> And that's Ice our sponsorship. Man. We're waiting for the, to get the money, but Iceman <laughs> frosted tips, smoking blue cigarettes while he listens to Evanescence. Yeah, yes. exactly. Blue e-cigarettes, e-cigarettes, e-cigarettes. Yeah. E yeah, we gotta get e the. That's how he keeps the girls. Blu blue <laughs> e-cigarettes. We gotta get we gotta get the product name just right, Stefan, or else they're Did ever gonna give us our money. Did you guys know that there was actually a... This is the first version of blue e-cigarettes that uh, I had ever run into. One of my friends had them. There's a version that actually has a social component to it, where if you have the, the social blue e-cig and you get within a geographic radius of someone who also has one, then it will blink at you, letting you know that there is someone else in the room that you can go be a social smoker with. <laughs> that's God amazing. This, this is actually... Honestly, like, that's a really cool component, if you are a smoker. This fantastic. feels like a, a sponsor read. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I didn't mean it that way. e-cigarettes, I mean, yeah, they're good for legit. your tea did, zone. Tea did, you know that blue, did you know that blue cigarettes helps you find <laughs> other smokers that you can also smoke with? <laughs> God, I I hope that the uh, the the FDA comes out with information that they're either horribly awful for you, like way worse than regular tobacco, or that they're absolutely fine and cause no problems. I hope it's one of those two insane extremes. I'm I'm definitely expecting the former. I I feel like there's oh, no, yeah. there's Fair no enough. way that this is better for you than cigarette smoking. I feel like really. Yeah. I feel like there's. I feel like it's way more likely to be not as bad for you. I don't You're mean better for you, so but not hard. as bad. This, is, this, this, is, this has been smoke talk here on. <laughs> All right, Sorry, we'll talk about on. this after the yeah. podcast. But yeah. anyway, this yeah. Lillian, Lillian, yes. Lillian, your Hello. closing thoughts. Um. Uh, I think yeah. The big word for me is potential, which I think everybody kept saying. Um, because. That's, that was my problem, was that there were so many little character moments that I was like, I need to, I want more of that. Give me more of that. I want more of Nightcrawler talking to Storm about how she's an angry woman. I, I want, you know, I want Jean Grey and Scott's marriage to mean something before we lose her. I want, I want 
mystique and nightcrawler to have that amazing moment where she's like you know what you need to not want to pass because that's i mean that's the one big thing i take from this movie is that if you think about it as a metaphor for prejudice against Mm -hmm. homosexuals the difference between race and homosexuality is that you can pass you have to come out we we didn't (laughs) even we didn't even touch on on that incredibly important line from mystique uh why don't you look like them all the time because we shouldn't have to that's kind of important yeah. yeah, and that like even the word "pass" is obviously based in uh, race, but yeah, relevant to uh, sexuality. Well, yeah, pass, now. passing in a race cons- in a race mm. area is a completely different conversation. And honestly, yeah, they start with Nightcrawler in in makeup. He's not yeah. white. Mm-hmm. He's 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 yeah. in whiteface. <laughs> <laughs> he's That's tan true. in it for some reason. He's he's in whiteface. Yeah, and. Mm-hmm. It's For some reason, because his skin is blue, okay, it's because his skin is blue. He probably wouldn't have gotten past the front door unless, you know, he could, like, teleport. But when did he wipe it off is my question. Did it, like, come off when he teleported? Yeah, it I came like off in hell. I like, I like to think that the clothes came with him, but the makeup didn't. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Okay, I respect that. But, yeah, that's my big thing is that I think – like a lot of really great genre stuff, this this was a kind of movie that launched a thousand ships. <laughs> you okay, dude? Sorry, I'm laughing about the, the concept of him going through a hell dimension and a demon laughing at him in hell for having makeup on and <laughs> wiping it off before he, he then moves back into our dimension without it, well, we but spent, still wearing we the spent, trench coat and hat. Yes. We spent a lot of time sort of fan-waking, particularly Nightcrawler's ability, and I, I have an idea here. So, yes. I, I mean, obviously he teleports with his clothes, and he's able to teleport with other mm-hmm. people. But mm-hmm. what, if, yes. what if it's that he has to, like, actually concentrate and remember to take uh, his clothes with him? Like, if he, if he yeah. just sort of did it naturally, he would just go naked. And he's not used to wearing makeup, so it wasn't something that he was mm-hmm. concentrating on when he was in the vampire. So he always he knows just... to bring his clothes with him. But he just entirely forgot because he's never had to vamp with uh, with makeup on, so it just doesn't come. Nice. There you go. So that, to speak. that actually fixes it for me. Okay. All right. You're um, welcome. Yeah, but yeah, I just I think in it it is it is a it's, it is a movie about potential, and it is a movie about laying groundwork for other movies in the franchise, and that's why it's so sad that it explodes so horribly. <laughs> when Brian Singer leaves to do Superman Returns. <laughs> and he takes James Marsden with him. And David oh, Hayter. God. Yeah. Um, uh, dude, closing thoughts. Lillian, was that, was that all you had to say? That's all I had to say. Okay. Um, uh, I guess I have three things. There's uh, one more thing from my notes. Uh, earlier I mentioned that I feel like this movie is about a battle of visions and visionaries where people have different views for what they were for what they think the world can and should be and the ways that they want to go about achieving that world. Um, and there were just some other uh, instances of the, the role of visions uh, it, within the film um, that uh, mastermind, Stryker's child, uh, that his power was specifically related to visions and his visions could drive people insane or they could drive them to control their behavior uh, uh, in, a, in a deliberate way instead of just a random chaotic suicidal way. Uh, the, I thought it was really interesting that Stryker was able to see instantly that Mystique was not Wolverine. That that, that line, mm-hmm. um, if there's one thing I know, it's my own creation uh, mm-hmm. or my work, I think he says, not creation. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I know my and own work. And really and so that's when Mystique. <laughs> yes. Uh, 
Although I thought it was interesting that Mystique can apparently not just shapeshift, but she can, like, make her bones small enough to fit through those handcuffs. I don't know what was going on there. Although, well, presumably, Wolverine's Mystique, wrists would be larger Mystique's than hers, so she could probably powers have through. always operated under the heading of... Very shifty. Well, nebulous, that makes sense yeah. for shapeshifting powers. Um, and the, uh, the other instance I remember was uh, that... Uh, Storm was able to see that that little girl was actually Mastermind, and Nightcrawler just saw her as a little girl uh, in the moment. Uh, so there was a, a lot of play with what you see versus what is reality, uh, in addition to the metaphorical sense of um, Professor X is trying to envision a world that he wishes to create, as well as the, the villain and half-villain. Um, the, the other thing, I remember when I watched this in theaters... The moment when Wolverine, and I mentioned this instance earlier, when Wolverine kills that soldier and pins him to the fridge mm-hmm. was, like, huge for my friends because that was when you got Wolverine being a, an actual murderous, even in the defensive Full fashion, badass. Rage. Like, this was someone who got killed in an X-Men movie. In the first film, I mean, it's been a while since I watched it, uh, but uh, since we did it for the podcast, but... I, I don't remember him actively killing any humans. He doesn't. Uh, I feel like they were no. really softballing him yeah. uh, and softballing the universe in general because I feel like X-Men, like Spider-Man is a really kid-friendly franchise. Yeah. Uh, he's supposed to be a more adolescent kind of superhero. The X-Men are sort of a more adult franchise, but since this is earlier in superhero films, that they were still really softballing the X-Men in general and the, the presentation of them was was less as... Like, there's going to be death as collateral damage in these films. And in this one, they're like, okay, people are going to die. There may not be any blood, but this is like a soldier coming into his house, and he's going to kill him, and there's nothing that's going to stop that. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, And, oh yeah, my third point was just my general take on the film, that I, we mentioned Guillermo del Toro Toro earlier, and he's probably the best example of... uh, a filmmaker who creates films that I feel are at that weird level where they're really good, but not so good that I consider them super good films. And I feel like this falls into that range as well, where I have enough nitpicky problems that pull me out of the film, where I'm like, that's that doesn't make any sense, uh, that I can't quite dive into it as if it were the deep end of a pool. Uh, it, and I, I get frustrated enough that I'm still kind of like, I don't know if this is really a good film, but watching it is is a thoroughly uh, good experience, I suppose, uh, because there's there's sure. enough action going on that I'm entertained constantly, and there's enough badass effects, uh, which I feel was really probably one of the best parts of this film is that I had no problem with any of the special effects in this, uh, that they have held up very well to me. Uh, yeah, that's the point. And. There was one more point I wanted to make that was that has escaped me, and I'll let it go. All right. Well, I th- we, we've uh, just to kind of wrap things up. We've we've covered a lot of ground in this two and a half hour conversation. <laughs> um, I'd hope so. But one one thing that I don't think we have devoted enough attention to, and I I, I want to do this here, is Brian Cox. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I, I want to bring that up for two reasons. One, because of the kind of actor he is, and two, because of the job he is asked to do here. Mm-hmm. Um, one, 
you know, when I think of Brian Cox before this film, I think of him in things like Adaptation. I think of him in Manhunter. Mm-hmm. I think of him in a lot of character parts mm-hmm. that are sometimes flashy, sometimes not, but always rock solid. Okay. He, he, he is an actor that you can put into a context and trust him to bring a certain level of gravity to it. Manhunter's a really great example of this because in Manhunter, you know, it's pre-Anthony Hopkins Hannibal Lecter, but it's still Hannibal Lecter. And it's a character that lends itself toward very juicy interpretations. And Cox in that film plays him in such a low-key way that you, even though he is this utterly outlandish character, you can accept him as a part of the tapestry, the realistic tapestry of that film. Adaptation in the same way. In Adaptation, like, they say Brian Cox is playing Robert McKee. Brian Cox is playing God in Adaptation. Like, that's what he's playing. He, he yeah. is the voice of reason. It's like, he is the uh, God, yeah. Who's the guy in the Hudsucker Proxy? There's a, uh, an African-American actor who, I know who plays who the role about. of God. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, go on. He, he, he is playing God for all intents mm-hmm. and purposes as the guy who is guiding the screenwriter. But he does it in such this... this Brutally wonderful, down-to-earth way. Not not paternal, not fraternal, not nice, but just honest way. So you're bringing that kind of actor into this utterly outlandish world. And you cast him in this role because you're expecting a certain amount of gravity from him. The job Cox has to do in this film. He is the only significant character in the film that does not have any kind of superpower. He is the, by any measure, physically, psychically, he is the weakest character in the film. But because he has that vision, and because he has that internal strength, and because the actor who is playing him, who is playing William Stryker, is so capable of projecting that strength in an honest way, he becomes the scariest character in the film. There's no doubt that Magneto is a bad man and that Magneto can do very bad things. But because Stryker has that honesty and that conviction, his, I don't even want to say villainous side, his internal darkness becomes that much more threatening because it is honest, it is raw, and it is the closest thing in the film to feelings that we as human beings might have in this context. It is our darkest fears perverted for a dark vision, but it is grounded in such honesty that it becomes compelling and it becomes believable. That's a really difficult thing to ask any actor to do, and especially an actor that is stepping into, if we conceive of, you know, Brian Singer's original three film plan for this, to ask an actor to step into act two and say, this is the job you have to do. That's a really tough thing. And when you watch the film, not only do you not question it, you don't even really notice it unless you're thinking about it. It's just part of the piece. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it's important, too, that the role... I mean, he's an RSC guy, along with, with mm-hmm. Sir Patrick and Sir Ian. Yep. Um, but the thing, the role that he is most known for is Lear. He's played Lear for the RSC several times, I believe. Um, 
and I don't know how recently you guys have been either forced or enjoyed reading the play, but <laughs> the, <laughs> the whole thing about that play that's really interesting is it's the, the iconic image of Lear is the old man shouting at a storm. Shouting, yeah. at, <laughs> shouting at a force of nature that he cannot stop and he will not stop, but he has this illusion that he can control it. And I've actually I, never experienced Lear, but that is the scene that I know. Yeah, everybody knows that scene, right? It's, yeah. it's an old man yelling at a storm. And yeah. the thing that's so interesting about that to me is that, you know, Stefan, I think you've said it really beautifully, that's what he's doing to these mutants. It's, it's somebody who cannot, who can't stop the storm of these people can't the only way you can stop the storm is by literally inventing a weather machine and undoing it completely it is these people are a force of nature and the the ego that it takes to decide that you have the right <laughs> to try per- and stop this particularly in the case of the one called storm, storm. <laughs> <laughs> you can't stop the storm rage um, rage ye tempest you storm and ye cataracts <laughs> and literally it is storm who stops his plan in the end so ha it does need to be storm ha <laughs> Iceman forever I, I mean go- going off that yeah, too is that um, you know the writing for Cox is actually pretty strong as well. I mean, he, he my two favorite bits that he does in the entire movie. He's got some. I just, I think the reason we didn't talk about it is because he's just so great. What, you take him for granted, yeah. like you say. Oh yeah, Brian yeah. Cox, he's incredible. Right. Just move on. But yeah. like, my two favorite yeah, parts like are Cummings acting or one Sir to kind of go off of what Lillian was saying was that he's got that line where uh, Wolverine's in his in his backstory room, and Stryker take <laughs> Stryker pauses. From all from his plans falling apart to go and talk to Wolverine apparently, and he's and he, has, and he explains the the scientific process behind adamantium. He's like you know you gotta you gotta keep it hot because if it cools you know it's indestructible and like that is the that is like the ultimate example of this man trying to control stuff that he can't control. Like it's like you've got an indestructible metal. For God's sakes, what makes on Earth makes you think you have any power over this? Um, but my other favorite moment is when we first meet Mastermind. And we see that, you know, this is... Oh, God. Like, like oh, he's, yeah. he's got... Yeah, we, we barely talked about but that. But, like, that scene yeah. is terrifying because yeah. we've heard a lot him talking about Charles, about his son, like this really creepy thing where, according to, um, according to, according to Stryker, you know, his son drove his wife to kill herself, although, as Lillian pointed out to me, Stryker is not exactly a reliable narrator. He's an unreliable narrator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that's Jason's fault. Yeah. <laughs> I refuse to believe that. But, but you completely believe... That Stryker believes. Right. I completely buy yeah. that that's what Stryker thinks happened. And then suddenly his, this, this, this guy who, as pointed out, is Sloth from, you know, uh, uh-huh. Seven, yeah. is wheeled in. He's got this terrifying tube hooked up to the back of his neck, and Stryker says, Scar- you know... Yeah, his spine. Yeah, he's got David Bowie eyes. Like, yeah, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm milking his spine for my mind control goo. And you just see... And again, yeah. this is to Patrick Stewart being a great actor. Yeah, he just has yeah. this... Just look up, just like, oh my god, oh my god, this is your son. <laughs> this is disgusting yeah. and awful and ah. Yeah, and that, like for that moment, you just realize Stryker is awful. Stryker but, is, but you, but he he could he could in that moment be so cartoony and so outlandish. But Cox keeps him honest. Like what whatever he's doing, however despicable it is, you know. In his head, it makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and the actor does an incredible job projecting mm-hmm. it. So I, I wanted I wanted yeah, to make sure, as, as we wrapped up, that we 
we paid appropriate tribute. Yeah. In fact, if yeah. I do have any, if I do have one other promise, that Cox, Stewart, and McKellen never have a scene together. All three hmm. of them. Not all yeah, three, that's a good no. point. They, they, they because they are in various combinations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I yeah, they're the three that. strongest actors and the three visionaries in the film. Mm -hmm. um, and their their visions at various points in time complement or contrast with one another yeah. as they're paired together in these combinations. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the acting and the special effects, I feel, are yeah. uh, unimpeachable mm -hmm. in the film. Yeah. yeah there is, so, as much as I like to make fun of, of um, uh, her accent, on Rogue's accent, she actually does play the part well. You know, even even if we yeah. do poke a little, and that's just because I'm southern and I make fun of everybody's mm. fake southern accents. <laughs> I, I just love her face after the Mean Girls moment. Like she suddenly <laughs> realizes she can use her powers for evil. <laughs> like, she's like, I could just touch you. <laughs> yeah. So we are at uh, we are at two hours and forty two minutes. Uh, this may oh end up God. be this may end up being released as a two parter. Depending it, on I think you'll have to split it. Say. Yeah. Um, X two one and X two two. Exactly. <laughs> Two-two. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I I think this was a good discussion, and I think that yeah. we, uh, as we kind yeah. of unpacked this, you know, w one of the things that I think makes a film good and makes a film last is as you dive deeper into it, you can continue to find different depths, and there are things that came up in this conversation that I hadn't thought of going into it mm. uh, that I think were, were valuable to explore. So uh, good yeah. job, gang. <laughs> Oh, well, well, thank Kill you. Um, that actually, that was the other point that I had been trying to remember earlier was that if there was, if there were one other perspective that I could add to these conversations, it would be that of someone who has absolutely no experience with comic books yep. or with the X-Men at all, but is only seeing this film for the first time as a film itself, film. just oh, a no. piece of yeah. entertainment where, you know, it, it would be necessary for you to have all of these backstory and all of the explanation, exposition, uh, mm -hmm. because... Even I feel like I probably know less about comic books than the rest of you, but even I watched the cartoon and had trading cards. Like, I have some experience with a lot of these characters. Yeah. All right. So uh, that is that is our show for today. Possibly two shows, depending on how the kiss, this gets split up. Uh, going That's around once more. more Dan Daniel Watson-Jones, Lillian DeRitter, Nick Bester, Patrick Regan. I'm Stephen Claypool. And next time around... You guys ready? Hulk. What? Who smash? Is it Hulk? Oh, fuck. Is it Hulk, Hulk smash? Hulk smash. Hulk smash. Ang Lee. smash. Because <laughs> we're going to be watching Hulk. I'm looking forward to this because I have never seen it. <laughs> yeah. And, and the most green. beautiful study of giant mutant dogs. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and yes, Chris Christopherson. Speaking of special Ooh. effects that happen. Chris Christopherson. No, it's Nick Nolte. Oh, Nick Nolte, yeah. you're right. I'm sorry. I was say, Wrong. Yeah, Nick Nolte. That's why. Yeah, that's why that famous after, uh, uh, that famous um, what do you call it? Uh, mugshot of him. He looked so insane because he was uh, he had grown his hair out for this role. Oh. <laughs> oh, I thought it was just that he was insane. That poor man. No, I mean he is insane, but he looks extra <laughs> crazy because he was he had like grown his hair out uh, for the role in Hulk. Okay, so mm -hmm. Nick Nolte, Eric Bana, uh, the most beautiful woman alive, Jennifer Connelly. And uh, Sam Shepard. Yes. Or, no, I'm sorry. Sam Elliott. <laughs> How dare you? How uh, do you need something grizzled? We've got a Sam Elliott for you. <laughs>